Shadows Literary License Podcast episodes. Ben Stokes here, exploring all things Collinsport, Maine, and following the likes of the Collins family and the friends and foes with your co-hosts, Tom Diamond, Jesse Fultz, Mickey Ray, and Keith Chalgo, Collins family, story about blood relations, literally. Congratulations podcast and it's Merry Christmas time as we discuss Dark Shadows and of course our Dark Shadows episodes are coming from June and July of 1969 which will be covering episodes 766 to 809 and before we get started let's find out who's with us we got Vicky Ray with us hello Vicky hello Merry Christmas Happy Holidays and Happy Kwanzaa <laughs> and we also got Tom Diamond with us hello Tom Hey, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, my goodness, and, and an upcoming, uh, I pray to God, Happy New Year. Hi, guys. And it's myself, Keith Shago, and before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. And starting with you, Tom, what have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Well, rest. And are you wearing pants? Am I? Oh, you want me to get up and show you? <laughs> Tom has a thing for not wearing pants. Tom has a thing. Vicky, Vicky has now spilled the secret. I, uh, I'm in my underwear when I uh, <laughs> sit down and do these things. Uh, however, I uh, did wear pants uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, went with uh, Sharon to a... Um, American Society of Public Administration Christmas party, and so I had to. So, so I, so you I had to actually, actually put on pants. Wear pants for that. Uh, but I thought you guys uh, were going on a cruise for some reason. We were going to, and uh, it was postponed because there was bad weather in the Bahamas. Oh, and okay. uh, then it was postponed for a couple of days. But then she was working one of those days, so we've pushed it back to April now. Uh, just to make sure to see what's happening because, uh, you know, I mean, maybe it was a blessing in disguise because you heard Carnival now came down with a COVID thing. Those people never have any luck anyway. Even before COVID, Carnival just doesn't have any luck. I don't know why. I don't know. I used to take them years ago. They were great, but that was years ago. And I think uh, one of the other ones, uh, the Norwegian Cruise Line, I think. I heard they're fantastic. Yeah, and they are, and they had, unfortunately, they let somebody on on December 4th that had it, and uh, apparently 46 people had it, and they had to dock at uh, Florida uh, and so forth. But um, uh, Sharon and I have been indulging on Harry Potter, uh, which he never saw, so we've been uh, so we've been catching up on that. Uh, you watched it start from the beginning? From the very beginning, yeah, I saw movies. My kids love those movies. Oh, them. fantastic! And you know they have the two recent ones now: Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I, I haven't finished watching that. I keep meaning to, and I still haven't finished watching it. Yeah, we just—I had never. Se- I think I saw part of the first one, and I'd never seen the second one. And so we saw those. And the third one is coming out in April. Uh, Dumbledore: Secrets of Dumbledore. Uh, I think it is, and they're going to have. What more. else is coming out this year that I wanted to watch? I can't There's so many things it's coming just, out. It's just it, it, it's just incredible, and uh, 
catching up on sliders because my uh, fire stick broke. And so I have to get a new one. So I have to, uh, uh, so, so I have to install that. And that means calling them because they don't come over uh, calling Amazon. What do you got to install? A fire stick. Fire stick. There's a way. There's a way of connecting it to the TV. Can you, I can just can't. Can't you just pair it with your TV? I don't know. I don't know. No, I, a whole I got big, the Google Nest thingy do, and it works it's really a, good. It's a whole big. It's a whole big thing. I got to call them, and they got to uh, oh, give me instructions. Well, yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, and I'm, I'm like got two left thumbs when it comes to something like that. So, but in the meantime, we have Peacock. And I have, and I am very, very surprised that Peacock has a lot of stuff on there. Now. They do. Oh, Paramount's God. pretty good too. Yeah, Paramount. Yeah, but Paramount, I need Fire Stick for, and I do have Paramount. Got to watch the fourth season of Discovery, which uh, started last month, uh, and uh, then Strange New Worlds is going to come on next year, which uh, goes back to the original Star Trek ethos with uh, Pike and Spock and stuff, and so that's something also uh, that that I want to do. But uh, I am, I am, I am resting. My coursework is over. That's you know, that's done. And uh, I'm resting right now uh, after two years. And I had a little a minor medical mishap, but that's straightened out now. Uh, and uh, so and my birthday was this past Friday. Yep. And uh, so that was very, very nice. Uh, she took me out to a very nice place. And, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, my my Sharon is always there for me. And that's uh, it's a very nice thing to have over the holidays. And uh, it's not easy when you're alone. Uh, so be happy for what you got. Uh, and uh, also be happy for your friends. If you don't have any uh, relationships in your life right now, happy, be happy for friends who can support you. And, and, and I think that's also very important. Um, Kaminsky Method. Uh, which is not horror, but I definitely recommend it. Uh, that's on uh, Prime Video uh, with uh, Michael Douglas and, uh, Lo- and Alan Arkin. And Alan Arkin. Oh, that was you saw that, Keith. I loved it. You saw it was. Is it, it was, a series? All three yeah, seasons. Three seasons. What's it called? The Kaminsky Method. K a m i n s k y, and I think that's uh, Kirk Douglas's real name. Uh, Milton Kaminsky, I think. Uh, and, I love Alan Arkin. Oh God, it, it's 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 fantastic. I, I'm sorry, I only went three seasons. Uh, I mean, well, I, I think, think they're talking about another season. So, oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I well, hope that, they do Afterlife because I totally love that show. I there is a fourth I, season coming out with that. I think. I hope so. I love yeah, that show. Yeah, there is a fourth season. And Jane Seymour is brilliant in the Kleminsky method. Mm. Oh yes. Oh yes. And they had Anne Margaret, my favorite. Anne Margaret was guest starring. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and a number of uh, they had a number of people that came on and did their cameos and stuff. Um, so uh, I think that, uh, what else? And I said, I, and I'm watching old stuff, old sliders 
the old sliders episode, which you never saw, which I always enjoyed. They're talking about bringing sliders. Well, the fans are talking about, you know, uh, they're hoping they can bring the cast back for a sliders mini series uh, because there aren't a lot of them left anymore. But uh, Jerry O'Connell would love to do it, I understand. And uh, the only one, Sabrina Lloyd, who played uh, the girlfriend, left there under less than auspicious circumstances. So they don't know if they're going to get her. But uh, it would be nice if they, it, that was a great show. It would be nice if they brought that back. And, I, and so I think that's, a, that's, that's it with me right now, guys. What about yourself, Fix? Well, <laughs> holidays, <laughs> holidays, they were a little screwed up because my daughter caught COVID in the UK and she's still over in the UK waiting for her to come home because oh, she's all right. her, her, her son was really sad. It was kind of sad the other night ago. He was missing his mommy, but I think she'll be okay because she said it's like a bad cold and she said she'd be home. Uh, let me see. I took him to see Spider-Man. I think it's safe to go back to the movies because there was no woke bullshit at all in this. It was pure violence and it was great. And I won't give any of the things away, but you'll be no wonder it made so much money because, you know, I think that Hollywood is starting to realize, you know, people like, you know, they just want to see a movie. They don't want the message completely all the time. So it was it was very good. It was so worth watching. And I've been starting to watch all these old 30s. You know, they used to get away with a lot of stuff back then. You know, like the old 30s movies, like 1932 Freaks, you know, like the Circus Freak movie. I don't, that is just, it's mesmerizing. I can't stop watching stuff like that. The pre-code. You know, it goes the pre-code. all the way back to 1909. They started using body horror films and I just find them fascinating. And it just, they used their bands in, in a couple countries still after all these years. I found that weird too, with all the stuff that we do in the movies now, you know, and mm. uh I find that rather odd that those people that people wouldn't really want those in. And I finished watching finally, what is it? The church one. Um, Midnight mass, midnight mass. I think that was really good. I enjoyed that quite a bit. And um, other than that, we're just trying to get back to normal, you know, holidays are, well, they're kind of over. I like new year's because everybody gets to start all over again. Christmas was just yeah. so yeah. rough this year. So, I mean, not that I don't enjoy Christmas, but it was different, you know, when your kid is trapped in another country. <laughs> but Keith was a good friend and was advising her and stuff while she's over there. So I got it handed to Keith also because last January I had COVID and he was helping me out uh, because I was uh, a little worried about the brain fog and everything. And he, and he said to me, Tom, I have unfortunate news for you. You're going to live. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I took that advice to heart. So uh, it is nice to know that Keith is there for the literary license family. Uh, when we have, uh, when we have certain things and of course, Vicki, I hope that your daughter really gets better. That was it. She's feeling a lot time. better. She, but I have noticed lots of Uber eats on my credit card. <laughs> Uber eats this and Uber eats that. Oh, wow. yes, uh, well, she's got to eat. She, she moved to a nicer place to stay. So she's, she's a lot happier. That's good. That's she's good. in Soho somewhere with us. Is he quarantining or? Uh, I guess is... so. 
She, yeah. I guess she just yeah. wants to come home. So don't blame her. Don't blame her. But, uh, but she likes it over there. She's she wants to move over there so bad now. She really got a good dose of it. She loves it there. She always has. So. Uh, what is her? It's her husband. How does her husband feel about that? She's she, not married. Oh, she's she not married. Far too picky. That woman. Oh, I don't I think I'm ever going to have any more grandchildren, or I'll never have a son-in-law. She's picky, picky, picky. Oh well, Vicky, you can always talk to her. You I've got know. another son. I'm hoping mm. we'll fill the gaps. I just want grand. <laughs> I like grandchildren. I like having them. That's fun. But what about you, Keith? Um, basically, I've been catching up on TV, um, Netflix, Emily in Paris, second season started that. Loving that. So sweet with Phil Collins' daughter, and she's brilliant. Really. Yep, um, that's quite fun. Each episode's about 30 minutes. Watching Dexter's about to wrap up, a new season of Dexter. I Dexter's can't get that season. over here for some reason. It's on Showtime sort of thing. Oh, um, yeah. And that's okay. quite good because it takes place in uh, around Fort Drum in upstate New York, which is quite fun. It um, is. Yep. And then um, Titan season three, started watching that, loving that. The Witcher season two yeah started watching mm-hmm. witcher hey did you watch the new sit season of black summer no i haven't watched that yet so. why is it so much better than than the other than the was it gen that gen z i want to say z nation it's so much better than z nation i don't know why um i think it's probably because they're done in short short little blocks um short little stories aren't they and then they connect sort of thing so each story is about 10 minutes and then another 10 minutes or another 10 minutes i later, love the witcher they all start coming together so that's what love the witcher can't say enough good things about that mm-hmm. and then lost in space season three the final yep, season that one too four. and then um and then of course stranger things i think it starts on friday and the fourth season the, yep so, I'm surprised they're giving it a fourth season. I really always am surprised. Um, and then I finished watching Money Heist, which is brilliant. Love that. That's finished now. Um, and Elite. They got some little short stories of Elite to get you ready for the next season. So that's quite good. So, yeah, there's quite a lot. And I actually watched the... Um, today, I watched the Nicole Kidman and Javert Badim doing um, I Love Lucy, the Lucy movie. Was it good? Oh, I'd love to see I- that. Yeah. Excellent. It's on Amazon Was Prime it? at the moment. Yeah, it's bring the Ricardos. Ricardos. Bring the Ricardos. Yeah. Yeah. And I sit there and say that I had doubts about Nicole Kidman playing Lucia Ball, but brilliant. Loved it. Everything. It's written by Aaron Sorkin, who wrote The West Wing. Mm. So, so I highly recommend it. I actually, you know, I thought, okay, I'll give that a watch. And another thing I watched that was really interesting is Val Kilmer has done a documentary about his life. As you know, I Val keep Kilmer, meaning to watch it, but it looked boring. So was it worth watching? Oh, it's good because what ha- what happens? He's been video recording every since he's he's had a video and he's been video recording his life ever way before Top Gun. So he, so it's basically him showing like behind scenes of Top Gun and all the other films he's done. And right, you know, as you know, he got throat cancer, so he can no longer speak. I didn't know that. So basically, his son does all the speaking for him, sort of thing. So, and his son I had no clue like about that. Didn't he just get married to somebody? No, he didn't get just get married, but um, he's still friends with his ex-wife Joanne Wally from Willow. Um, so, but it's really interesting, actually. I thought I really enjoyed it. I thought, okay, I'll give this a shot on Christmas Day, and started watching it and got into it. It's nice, you know. It's interesting to see. There's there's not people talking about him or anything like that. It's a document that he's made about his life, so it's basically just his home movies and him, being, you know, narrating through it. And 
Cool. Okay. Like so yeah, very good. I highly recommend that. So that's pretty much it. Try to give it a look see then. I'm getting ready for lockdown here again and the hospital's extremely busy because yeah, we're quite a few staff members down at the moment. So any leave that we have has all been canceled. So still hoping that maybe things will clear up in a couple of weeks. So I kind of at least get a week or two off here. So that's what I'm looking forward to, but we'll see how that goes. So Right. Right. What do you think of the new, what do you think of the new oral antibiotics uh, that are on the, that are going to, I don't know about the UK, but uh, what are these? It'd be nice that they would put the therapeutics out for people to use. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be coming out in January, but hopefully you got enough. But is it, it's like Zycam for COVID, I guess. Well, I know we're getting ready for the HIV injections now. So that's quite good. So I think they're, they come out in January here. Really? So injections? Yep. So basically you take one injection, which lasts every two weeks. Instead of, uh, and it's actually cheaper than the uh, medication. So. Than the you, cocktails? Than the cocktails, yeah. And you can live a normal life. That's marvelous. Yep. Could they Could they just inject themselves or do they have to go to the doctor? Or? They'll be injecting themselves. A bit like diabetes. Like right, right. Thing. Well, that's fast. That's fantastic news. God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're rolling that out at the moment. So that's quite cool. So it's not a cure-all. It's just. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, um, nowadays, I think if you're HIV, you tend to be a lot healthier nowadays because things have moved on and. Yeah, you, you normally have more T cells than the average normal person nowadays. Right, right. Yeah, so it's not too bad. Good. It's good to hear. Well, what we're going to do now is cut to bloopers and info from Tom Diamond, and we'll be right back. Hello, everybody. Tom Diamond here. Have a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. And an upcoming Happy New Year to you. And I hope all is going well with you. And we are here at the point of talking about the stars and the bloopers for episodes 766 to 809 of Dark Shadows. And I have to tell you in advance that there were so many bloopers in this block. Uh, I think that if I did all of them, we would probably add an extra hour onto the podcast and everybody would be switching away from me, so I'm going to do some selected ones. Uh, but uh, hopefully you'll get your fill. But first, uh, to get to the stars, and uh, Kay Fry uh, makes her first appearance in 771 as Pansy Faye, the first Pansy Faye. And we're talking about the first Pansy Faye because there will be another one later on in this block. Uh, the spirit of Pansy Faye, who was killed off, will enter into Nancy Barrett's charity trask, and she will take over that role. And that's in this block. Uh, if you notice, by the way, uh, although uh, Kay Fry does a Cockney accent uh, for this, in one of the episodes she does the beginning voiceover. And in that particular voiceover, she uses her original accent. See which episode you can catch that on. She was in episodes 771, 772, then as a ghost in 777 and 778. Kay Fry, by the way, was in the ABC After School special in 1972. She was in Seamus in 1973. 
and the well, here's my bad handwriting again. It looks like uh, Coming Asunder of Jimmy Bright in uh, 1973. Timothy Gordon, our favorite extra, who is Jeremiah, and uh, some of the other characters that stand in for Barnabas's. Uh, uh, when Barnabas was in the coffin and of course the hand that choked Willie and so forth well Timothy Gordon comes back as Count Petoffi's hand and we're going to get into Count Petoffi uh, in this episode as played by Thayer David marvelous role uh, Timothy Gordon is at least on episodes 783, 784 and 805 but I'm sure he's on others uh, now we have some extras uh, John Miranda plays the policeman in episode 786. He was born in New York City on May 27, 1926. Aside from Dark Shadows, he actually had a part in Star Trek IV in 1986, Inner Space 1987, Bloodthirsty Butchers in 1970. What, a, what an interesting one. He passed on February 3rd uh, in 2015 in L.A. He was also in Murder, She Wrote, uh, Little House in the Prairie. Um, oh, here's a, here's a forgettable one. Uh, the Beniculate, the Vampire Rabbit. Uh, which is uh, and, uh, and 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 some other and some other stuff as well. So uh, he did he did some he did he did some stuff on TV, and he is well remembered for getting his start on Dark Shadow. Now in the next episode, seven eighty seven, Paul Vincent played the policeman at the Collinsport Jail. Uh, Paul's real name was uh, Vincenzo Paul Romero and he was born in Cleveland, Ohio and Paul Vincent went on to have a role in Arthur uh, you remember that with Liza Minnelli and, uh, and My Brotherhood Dreams in 1972 he was also on the edge of night so he did some things as well Robert Warlock what a name played the jailer in episode 790. Robert Warlock was born uh, in Brooklyn on uh, July 9, 1935. And his real name was Robert McDonald Warlock. He was married to Winifred Elsie. And he passed on July 27, 2019 in Schenectady, New York. So, uh, a number of these extras are passing on recently, unfortunately, but uh, that was his contribution to Dark Shadows. The big contribution to this block is the uh, first appearance of Michael Stroka as Aristide in episode 791, and he will continue with Dark Shadows for over a year. Uh, Michael Stroka used to go to the conventions. He had a uh, great fandom there. He really loved the show. And um, he had a lot of fun on that. Um, Michael Stroka grew up in New Jersey. And uh, horror films were always a, uh, 
an interest of his. He used to go to all those Saturday matinees and so forth. Um, he is uh, noted for um, 36 hours uh, with Eva Marie Saint. He, he did King. He did uh, the movies. He did that. He did King Rat in '64 with George Segal. He did the Twilight Zone, according to this bio, although I don't recall him on it, and he was in combat. He was in Island of Blood, the movie, uh, and he played Dr. Quentin Hudson, I believe, on the edge of night for a year in 75 and 76. He was in Entrance to Cherry Street in 79, Harlem Nights, of all things, uh, and uh, did a number of uh, movie appearances as well as stage appearances um, he was he went to the Carnegie Institute of Technology and did some stage work there and uh, he passed away in 1997 from cancer after a long battle with cancer uh, he has definitely missed me his memory be a blessing now, as we mentioned earlier, Thayer David makes his first appearance in 798 as Count Patafi, otherwise known as Victor Fen Gibbons, and uh, you will see that in a later episode, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, it's in episode 798, uh, he will double as Xandor, uh, and Xandor is killed off, and the first scene you see him as Xandor, and for the rest of the episode you see him as Patafi. Nice job there. In terms of uh, in terms of makeup, then we have Diana Davila. Uh, Diana Davila made a little bit of a mark for herself, although a minor one, as Julianka. Uh, Diana Davila. It was born Diana Arostegui in 1947. She was a Cuban actress, and she is also known for her uh, role with Woody Allen in Play It Again, Sam. She plays Woody Allen's. Uh, this girl, ex-girlfriend of his that he runs into in the museum. It's a nice little scene between them. Uh, Diana Davila was in episode 794 to 797, and she really fashioned uh, the Julianka character for herself. Uh, it's a shame that they didn't have her on more often. I think she would have been great. And, of course, as we recall, Roger Davis uh, was Dirk the Vampire, in uh, this block, and uh, we go in, we go more into that in the podcast. But it was probably one of his best roles uh, in terms of the development uh, of uh, himself after Barnabas bit him, and then uh, after after he died, in kind of maturation uh, as a as a ghosty vampire to a very knowledgeable. Saint Germain kind of vampire, but still uh, someone who enjoyed uh, biting, and, uh, other, other than Barnabas, uh, which is opposed to Barnabas, who hated what he did, as you know. Uh, but he was killed off by Edward, and then he returned in the same block um, as Charles Delaware Tate, uh, the artist uh, who paints Quentin's portrait, and we see what's happening with a ripple from Picture of Dorian Gray. And uh, in this block, he was in episodes 804, 806, and 807. And so that those are the major contributions as far as the stars were concerned, of course. The regular ones were all on there, uh, and we go into that in the podcast. And now to the bloopers. So starting with 
episode 766 and now we're doing the bloopers uh, we we see that uh, even Alex Stevens is a werewolf he's even more better uh, he's even more better dressed up he's even wearing his watch chain and just imagine the werewolf uh, taking the uh, watch chain out to take a look at the time uh, there is a rather big blooper under the old house stairwell you can see a part of the stage uh, it looked like they didn't uh, put uh, part of the wall that part of the wall separating the stage uh, into the stairwell into that part of the stage where the stairwell begins so there's a big gap and you can see the uh, you can see black through there uh, and I don't know if any of you can see part of the stage I wasn't able to uh, but there definitely is something there well we have some Fritz speak in that episode when this Barnabas he says well I'll think about it during the day and uh, so one wonders if he's comatose in the coffin how can he be thinking about anything uh, this is probably one of the best bloopers I've seen on Dark Shadows in a long time. So, uh, in this episode, uh, we're still on 766, as Selby, as Quentin, opens the door uh, to Collinwood. Uh, the camera catches a view of the outside, and now for the first time, you can see, uh, because they usually put grass and foliage and shrubbery uh, to cover to cover up, uh, but this time they didn't do that. And so what you really see is an exit door, and you actually see part of a red and white exit sign above the door. So I'll bet that was the door to the studio staircase that you see in all the pictures. That is absolutely mar- that is absolutely marvelous. Uh, and uh, you again, that's not something I think you would have seen 50 years ago with the small TVs. Uh, but uh, looking at a, at a large screen, it's uh, it's you can see the metal door and you can see part of the red and white uh, blinking exit signs that they used to have years ago. Maybe they still do. Uh, on top of that, that's a great one. Yeah, this episode was full of bloopers. Also look for Mike Boone's shadows on the wall. Uh, And one of the scenes where you're looking at a mirror, you can actually see a camera uh, as reflected in the mirror. And one wonders when uh, Barnabas and Quentin are having that uh, great conversation in Quentin's room, this was before Quentin found out that Barnabas was a vampire, because later on in this block he is going to, um, he is is going to be made aware of that, but this was before, and uh, they've got a big full-length mirror in Quentin's room, and all he had to look, uh, (laughs) all he had to do was look while he was talking to Barnabas, and he probably would have seen no reflection in the mirror. But uh, I guess they forgot about that one. Moving to 767, uh, I, I, I do have to comment, a positive, making a positive comment on a beautiful lighting effect on Jonathan Fritz's face from the lamp in the drawing room. That was really, really, really good. And uh, this, of course, is the episode uh, of uh, Jameson's Dream in 1969 where we see Carol and Roger and... Uh, 
the uh, the the, uh, the the whole thing of David's death. But the big blooper in this one is that uh, if you look, uh, this is in the old house uh, drawing room where they have the birthday cake set up for him. Uh, and if you look, there is, uh, on top of the mantelpiece, is a picture of Josette. Now, this is supposed to be in 1969, and as you guys by now know, in 1969, the picture of Barnabas is on top of the uh, of mantelpiece, the uh, modern picture of Barnabas in the, uh, in the, full, in the full suit. Uh, apparently, they had forgotten completely about that, and they left the picture of Josette uh, from 1897 up there. But then you could say, well, it's a dream, and Jameson's having the dream, so maybe he's mixing up what he knows about the way the old house looks in 1897. All the psychologists could come out with that. But uh, believe me, it was, a real, it was a real humdinger of a blooper. By the way, it's nice to know that... Uh, Judith, uh, or Joan Bennett as Judith, is finally uh, using David Collins' name correctly when she asks uh, Barnabas, do you know who David Collins is, referring to the dream that Jameson had. Before that, she was doing the bloopers and calling Jameson David. So, uh, congratulations, wherever you are, and may your memory be a blessing as well, Miss Joan Bennett. Finally, with 767, we note that they took all, in that dream sequence, they took all of the 1897 furniture out, and you've got the birthday table and, and so forth, but they don't have any of the 20th century old house furniture in the background. And of course, th- those are antiques as well, but uh, it's obviously uh, put in different uh, positions. You had the you had the left hand side. You had that uh, desk drawer and the, uh, and the and the chair. All that's out. All they put in is the table. So that's another interesting point. But when again, then again, people can, fans can say, "Hey, listen, that's Jameson's dream. He's allowed to dream whatever he wants." Now on episode seven sixty eight. Uh, if anybody wants to tell me who Alice Austin is, uh, write to me at info at llpodcast.com. That's info at llpodcast.com. And uh, you'll, get, uh, you'll get a nice uh, uh, hearty handshake from me, and I'll see if I can talk Keith into, into giving uh, you guys a prize, because Alice Austin is definitely something that you're not going to hear about again, and I even gave you the episode where it is. Uh, uh, but, in, but in any event, that silver bullet, that silver bullet, I should say, looks extremely small, and uh, uh, no, uh, I'm not going to go into the uh, if there's a if there's a prurient part of the fandom that likens it to the size of a male member, uh, I'm not going to entertain that. Uh, but. Uh, The Lone Ranger certainly didn't leave that, that's for sure. So I do want to make a comment that I think I do talk about on the podcast later about the evolution of uh, Dirk Wilkins' vampire character as portrayed by Roger Davis. And it's really something to see because at first, uh, after Barnabas bites him and he's in a uh, pre-vampire stage, he reminds you of Renfield looking for... Uh, rats 
and it's like really, really, and he giggles and he googles and he's he's he's, he's marvelous. He's marvelous. And then after he becomes a vampire, he's a more traditional Lugosi vampire, and uh, you know, and there's there's none of the Barnabas in him. This vampire clearly enjoys doing what he's doing, and especially wants to get his revenge against Judith. Uh, for uh, what he feels was abuse uh, while he was a servant, as well as uh, Laura. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's no longer the overseer at Collinwood, that's for sure. Uh, no unemployment check for him. Uh, the, uh, and then finally, uh, the mature vampire comes out of him uh, within his talks with, in his talks with Rachel and, and, and so forth. So uh, kudos to Roger Davis for uh, for really pulling that off. But we go into that in the podcast. Uh, must be a writer blooper uh, in this episode seven sixty eight because when Quentin says to Beth, "I don't believe you for a minute, baby." Well, frankly, I don't think they said "baby" in eighteen ninety seven in that particular. Uh, in that particular venue. That's something more like the 1950s and 1960s. Uh, I just thought that was really c- cute that he, <laughs> that, he, that, he, that he smacked her around. I don't believe you for a minute, baby. I almost thought the, the motorcycle gear was going to come out and uh, he was going <clears> to, <throat> he and Marlon Brando were going to have a meeting or something. You know, one also wonders. Um, you know, the plot, of course, is is that Dirk is hoping that Barnabas can bring Laura back, and he keeps talking about Laura and uh, how he wanted to renew that relationship. I'm kind of wondering whether they were toying at the time of actually bringing Diana Malay back as Laura. That would have been very, very interesting if they had, and it's a shame that they didn't. Moving on to episode 769, you can see how slow this is. There were that many bloopers. Um, as uh, Jameson is uh, in uh, as Jameson is in the uh, basement of the old house you can clearly see a stagehand on uh, the other side of Jameson very briefly with a white shirt and then uh, that stagehand disappears from the screen now what remains to be seen is uh, you know Jameson does find Barnabas's coffin in this episode and as uh, Liz's and Roger's uh, father, I wonder why he didn't transmit that to them uh, later on in life. Uh, that would have changed the whole. That would have changed the whole situation. As soon as Barnabas showed up, they would have been ready for him with stakes. And excuse the pun, but I'm not talking medium rare either. Okay, seven seventy. Um, Jameson is supposed to run out of the old house after he's released uh, from the cellar without Barnabas seeing him, uh, the door's already open. I wonder why that was. You don't even see him opening the door. Maybe that was to uh, speed up the time for the scene. Now, in episode 771, there's a lamp in the old house, and I wonder whether that's a gas lamp, or it's certainly not an electric lamp, uh, because uh, there's no electricity in the old house. So the only thing, and, and it's uh, covered by a very, very nice red uh, glaze material, so you really don't know, but I'll bet you there's probably a light bulb under there. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> one wonders why that's there. Now, also in episode 771, uh, Barnabas discovers Pansy's body, and uh, 
she has a rope around her neck. In episode, now that's the last scene, and in episode 772, that's the first scene, there is no longer any rope around Pansy's neck. That, and, uh, and so that's very, very stark. Incidentally, nice lithograph effect at the beginning of this episode of 772 uh, regarding Barnabas as a kind of a foreground, uh, just his just his face, uh, side profile as a kind of foreground to the uh, to the main picture. Very, 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 very well done. For those of you who have Amazon Prime closed captioning, uh, just run through them if you ever. If the mood ever strikes you, you're going to see a lot of closed captioning uh, mistakes. Uh, more often in this block than you have seen in a few other blocks, and if I can get to a few of them, I will uh, mention them. One thing that you're going to see, which I think is extremely interesting, take a look at Dirk's coffin through this entire segment. Uh, and on the upper right-hand corner of the coffin... Uh, you're going to see a what looks like uh, somebody drew a cross in the in the dust, with the artificial dust which is used to make the coffin look old. And somebody drew a little cross on it in the upper right hand corner, which is really interesting because one wonders then how Dirk could get into the coffin if there's a cross on top of it, even if it's even if it's hand uh, even if it's hand uh, handwritten. And that you can see that. In, in any of the episodes throughout the beginning through 775. Uh, in uh, 776, um, if you look at Amazon Prime, uh, the cast listing, it has uh, Tony, it tras, uh, Tony Peterson, Jerry Lacey is Tony Peterson. Uh, and as we well know, Tony Peterson was a character from the 20th century uh, who is no longer being used, but they have the Tony Peterson character as a uh, cast member in 1897. I don't think so. Now, you should note that in episode 780, that is John Carlin's last appearance as Carl. Carl gets killed off uh, by Barnabas uh, because Carl uh, has found out about the secret. And you will not see John Carlin again for a while, but he will come back in episode number 956. So for the Willie fans, don't worry. He's, uh, he's definitely going to come back, but he's taking a long leave of absence as of episode 780. Moving on to episode 782, there's a music blooper. Uh, the music cuts off abruptly during a scene where uh, Nora opens the door to Barnabas. In episode 784, notice the microphone that is above Humbert Allen Estrado's head in the cave as he speaks to Barnabas. In 785, during the credits, if you look at those, there's a shadow in the old house window for just a split second. In episode 786, there's a shadow of the camera on the day room, uh, on the drawing room floor, and then it moves away. And I do want to mention, I may come to the episode number, I may not, but there's a really, really great blooper uh, where I think it might have been Jerry Lacey uh, as two characters are speaking. Um, there is uh, some shuffling and you, see a, and, and you see a figure run across the bottom of the screen 
Uh, it looks like it was an actor trying to get to a, to uh, to his his or her spot, and you can definitely hear a male voice saying "Jesus" as he runs across the screen. Uh, I'm not going to say one way or the other who that was. It sounded like Jerry Lacey, but of course it could be wrong. Uh, but that was uh, that's a wonderful blooper. Episode 786. So here's a. Uh, Jerry Lacey blooper bear traps are well conceived he should have said should be concealed Uh, and the Collinsport fly has returned in this episode to land above Quentin's head uh, in the dream and in this dream it's the first time that you see the werewolf played by Alex Stevens and Quentin together in the same shot a closed captioning blooper. Edward is saying, just a matter of time before we get Barnabas, and the closed captioning says, more of us. And that, by the way, is in episode 788. In episode 789, when uh, Trask and Judith are married, and Trask sends Judith to her room, uh, one wonders if there was no sleeping together in uh, one room and I think that that was definitely around at the time but I think the Dark Shadows people wanted to maintain the Victorian atmosphere good closed captioning blooper Judith is called Judy and that's episode 790 great line in that one the living have even less pity than the dead think about that one Episode 791, good blooper, the teleprompter comes into the right-hand side of the drawing room. And you can see it uh, go, you can see the yellow uh, part of the teleprompter, and then it moves back. In episode 791, at one point, Joan Bennett pleads, don't bury me alive. And isn't that a take uh, a reference to the 20th century Liz, who uh, was in fact buried alive. And so, as you can see, they're trying to establish a relationship between the two characters right there, that connection. And yes, in 791, you're going to see that big blooper where first you hear footsteps, and then uh, the person runs through the set, and you can see it very, very, uh, at the bottom of the screen, yells, Jesus, and, uh, and then you can also hear somebody yelling, run. Uh, somebody else yelling, run, as the person moves off the screen. In 794, uh, you see the mic from above and the camera on the right almost at the same time uh, at uh, a particular scene. Uh, and you guys can, you guys can look for it. I can't read my writing. Oh, the fans are going to grab me for that one. But if you've been with me this long, you do deserve an explanation, and I'll find it. Closed captioning blooper. This is a good one. Uh, Thayer David is talking as Patafi. Edward is convinced that I'm a member of the English aristocracy, and the closed captioning says heretics. I'm going to leave you with one more blooper, and then uh, perhaps we'll get back to this uh, in another in another block, uh, because I have never seen so many bloopers, and I thought I had seen bloopers back in the first year when I counted 40 of them, 
during the uh, strike uh, that they had. But boy, this one. Uh, and this is more of a writing blooper in, ep- in episode 806, where uh, Charles Delaware Tate is saying, Let me get this goop off my hands. Well, I looked that up, and the word goop, uh, which comes from goo, did not go, did not come into effect until the 1930s. So there's an anachronism for you. And I hope that this has been a representative sample uh, of the many bloopers in this block, which uh, I will get to another time. Uh, But you do have all the stars that participated. And uh, we had, uh, of course, Mike Stroka is probably one of the biggest additions to the block. So thank you very much, and now let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome back to Literary License Podcast, and we're discussing episodes from June and July 1969, which includes episodes 766 to 809. Now, as we put the scenes together, as you know, this is quite a hefty um, way of um, quite a hefty lots of stuff going on here. So when we put these scenes together, what we've done is try to keep our storylines together, even though they're might, you know, they're not exactly in episode order because sometimes we'll start a storyline and then we won't see it for three or four episodes and then it comes back. So when we do our scenes, if you have any queries about this, that's the reason why they're we laid them out in this way. Saying oh, that, we'll start off with scene one. Oh, but Keith, knows, uh, yeah. Keith, before you do that. I am dying to hear what you thought of Laura. Uh, Oh, my God. He's still tooting his horn on this one. That's right. From last time, unfortunately, Keith wasn't able to join us. And that was the Laura return of Diana Malay. And she came and went like a ship in the night. Uh, But but it was uh, we didn't get your input on what you thought of her, you know, Phoenix thing. Yes. I, I really like the Phoenix thing, and I love that they gave a little bit more explanation about it. And it was kind of a colorized version of her first storyline, but the, but it seemed this one had a lot more meat on it. It seemed like they knew what they were doing this time around. It wasn't like they weren't riding on the sheet, you know, the you know the, the tail, the seat of their pants, the, the, yeah, the seat of their pants. And I thought Dinah Millay was brilliant. She looked like a little China doll. She looked like a <laughs> she did. She did. <laughs> and um. And I also like the simple fact that because of this, and I, you know, you know, when we get into our episodes here, I think we got Roger Davis doing the best stuff I've ever seen him do. So yes, far yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. A fantastic villain. I'm not very sold on the like. You know, we had to play a really likable character. He looked like a real scary vampire. I mean, he really and, did a in fantastic this block, job. In, in this block, he's this great. Block. But I love I love the Diamond, the Laura and Dirk storyline going on, and Dirk mm-hmm. going going evil. And of course, we'll, in this in this block, we'll get we'll go more into that. Right. And um, and I was a bit disappointed with the Angelique um, Laura standoff. I think that that could have been bigger, but I still I agree. Enjoyed- I did like the Clash of the Titans there for a while. I did think that they could have gone at it a little more. Well, I think the problem is, is that Angelique's magic is more in your face and Dinah Malay's or Laura's magic is kind of more subtle. Mm-hmm. So I think so when you put these two in a room together and they're kind of out, 
out bitching each other, doing a, having their dynasty moment. With That's what I was going to say. It reminded it me of Joan Collins and Linda Evans. <laughs> yeah. So, very but it would be quite interesting if their magic was evened or having like a magic fight between them. But the thing is, their magic is not even because their magic is like t- two different. Well, it's different. Yeah. Precisely. Right. So you can't. You know, it's like Angelique could do something that will affect you right now. Donna Malay has to do something that's going to affect you a couple of days later. That kind of. But they don't ever give you any closure to that story, though, because we still don't know why she jumped on a burning pyre. Because she has to. That's 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 her, that's what she has to do in order for her to be reborn. If she doesn't do that, then she's not going to be reborn. So she's not going to. If she doesn't do that, then she's not going to. Oh, that's right. Because wait, in nineteen sixty-five, right. but they really didn't explain that. And that was, I, and that's, I think, what Vicky may be talking about. Uh, I mean, now that you bring it up, yeah, it makes sense that she would have to uh, do but that. But didn't somebody for... make her like that, though? It seems like somebody made her like that. She wasn't born like that way. There seems to be something to do with Egypt. I mean, I think right. I mean, this time around, they went about the Egypt and the Phoenix, and they went more into that. But this, again, this is this is the problem with some some of the Dark Shadows lore is that if you start you know when they do start re- you know you know showing dark shadows on television they miss out all the episodes up until barnabas and a lot of the a lot of the information about laura is actually in before barnabas shows up on the series so that whole thing about because remember Vic- victoria goes back to the um to the funeral home or the mausoleum right. and they find out about Laura's family history. And that all gets right. explained that she has to do this and she has to die in order for her to come back because this is what, this is what she does every so and many a, years. And somebody died with her that time. Normally she has to take a child with her. Normally. Right. right. Exactly. And but although they did her. have a blooper, they did have a blooper of uh, her grave in the cemetery in one episode. And that was before we went to oh, the, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, what the heck is that? She's supposed to be buried in the in the crypt, and then they then they show the crypt, and of course, and then Fred is reading from the book, and he mixes up the year. Uh, said it was 1785 when it was 1795, but uh, or whenever the heck it was, but uh, but that that extra little thing about uh, now Laura being the first wife of Jeremiah, right. which was never mentioned, which, which was never there in the original 1795 story and her meeting Barnabas uh, when he was 10 years old and the uh, portrait of Laura was painted and he was there as a 10-year-old dreamy I almost kind of wish they would have started Dark Shadows during the Revolutionary War for some reason um, Yeah, but yeah, another thing you need to remember though, that when the Laura storyline happened the first time around and she almost burned out David and they rescued David mm-hmm. and she dies Laura, everything, all the memory about Laura, everyone went, had basically had no memory of her. David had no memory. So that's of part Laura. of the magic. They don't that's remember. Right. And, and so basically, if, um, if this, this happened before and when she didn't meet Barnabas, and, th- and let's say this happened in 1785 or 1795, depending on what episode you're watching, there's a, there, there's a chance that none of them would remember. Yeah. 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 So, so even though, even though I think they probably, I mean, I think, you know, since we've been watching this from the beginning, I think that we're, and you know, and the, the rate that we watch these that probably gives us a little bit more clue. But yeah, I mean, I think it was very clever for if you're like a loyal Dark Shadows fan that they're able to give you lore and they gave gave you more information than what they gave you before. 
but you mm-hmm. kind of needed that information that they gave you before to actually put the whole story together. Gotcha. And um, and so as I said before, as I when Dark Shadows went into syndication, they normally start from when Barnabas first appears, and then it right. goes from there. So when these storylines came up, I imagine when it went into syndication, I imagine there might there probably was a lot of people a little bit lost, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what's going on there? And yeah, and, uh, you know, and this is why I always say it's best that you watch Shadows from the beginning rather than from even for that reason alone, because, uh, you know, as you say, Laura comes in the 1897 block and thinks she's a totally new character. If you haven't uh, seen the uh, original Laura segment, which was uh, and yes, it's. You know, and it's a rehash of, you know, this time Nora's, uh, she wants to burn up Nora as well as uh, Jameson. Uh, and it's a rehash. But and she but, could act that little girl back in the day. Yep, yep, yep. But but as Keith also says, marvelous uh, chance for Roger Davis uh, to get into what, and Roger thought it was one of the best characters he ever did on Shadows. So. I loved him as Dirk. Yeah, I loved I him as agree. all that stuff. I mean, he, he's going to be he's going to be mentioned in my absolutely um, best and worst character segment. Absolutely, same here. Mm-hmm. He's going to be tying with someone, but yeah, he's going to be mentioned yep. this time. Yep, and um. But another thing, I mean, you know, my hats are off to the writers of Dark Shadows because even though you kind of, you know, they are expecting their, I like the way that they are expecting their audience to be um, intelligent, where they're expecting you that because you've been along for the ride, that basically you're able to put the pieces together. And I like it that they didn't dumb, us, dumb it down because they could have really dumbed it down and started rehashing a lot of stuff over and over and over again. Right. You would find a lot of soap operas, but... I'm kind of glad they didn't do that. So, like, if you were a loyal fan, they gave you some new information, as I said before. And then if you listen to the old information, if you've been in with it since the beginning, then you kind of got a really good, well-rounded story about Laura. And I quite right. like that. You know? you know, so my hat's off to them. Now we'll go to scene one. Magda tells Barnabas of an old woman whose daughter may be able to lift the cure from Quentin. A puzzled Jameson tells Barnabas of his dream about Quentin and David Collins. Magda returns with a mysterious box containing the hand of Count Petoffi, which she <laughs> says has mysterious powers. And Mr. Collins, the hand. <laughs> the hand of Count Petoffi is used to perform a procedure on charity. Magda uses Count Petoffi's hand, hoping to cure him. Evan steals the hand of Count Patafi. Angelique is summoned by Quentin and Magda to find the hand of Count Patafi. Victor Van Gibbons observes as Angelique conducts a ceremony using the hand to help Quentin. A gypsy name, Julianka, tells Barnabas she has come to end the cure to re- and to return of the hand. In the woods, Julianka, the gypsy, is found dead with a strange mark on her forehead. Julianka's spirit appears and tells Barnabas that she will not help him and places a cur- curse on Magda. Following Sanders' death, Quentin's son also dies. Petofi's hand appears to Magda. Quentin's son died? Yep. 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 So, As a result of Julianka's curse that everyone Magda loves will die. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. yeah Which okay. is the same curse, incidentally, that Angelique put on Barnabas. So uh, There's lots of curses going on. But, you you know, know, it's that, amazing this family breeds and has, you know, descendants. You know? <laughs> well, well, it's amazing. Again, it's all incest. Remember. 
I mean, um, I mean, I mean, Nora, Nora has one scene, and basically, she pretty much is not in for two months. <laughs> what? Nora, like, oh, she is. Okay. <laughs> scene goes up, which we'll cover in the next scene. But um, I think this is. I mean, I quite. I'm. I have to say, this block is quite solid. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. I love this oh, yeah. block. I I think it, I couldn't stop watching it. I, I mean, I really had a lot of fun with this one. I, I personally love the hand, though. The hand, I was like, and, and it looks really good, too. It's got the ring on it. It's got the bone sticking out of it. It kind of reminds me of the hand. What's the, the thieves' hand, they call it? It's in, over in Europe, in London somewhere. Uh, well, there's the monkey's paw. That's Not the monkey's paw. It's a hand of a thief or something. I, there's something about this hand. I cannot remember the name of it, but it's an actual hand somewhere. But, I mean, it just reminds me of Thing. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, although thing was handsomer, thing was younger. Yes, yes, that thing definitely had it going on. And, and, right. and, around, and thing moved around a little bit better than this one. It had a little box to live in and everything. Yeah. Um, I have to say though, I mean, it's you know, this whole Magda and curing Quentin is quite quite an interesting block, and they've gone and got kind of dip, went in a very interesting way. Um, the only thing I. The only thing I'm probably disappointed at, and this is only from a personal preference, does not have nothing to do with the story, but I really like Julianka. I like that character a lot. She's very cute as well. That helps. She's beautiful. I was going to say Diana Davila, uh, who was born Diana Erostegui, a Cuban uh, actress in 1947. Is she Cuban? I was trying to figure out what her nationality is. She's Cuban, and interestingly enough, she was also in Woody Allen's play Against Sam, along with Jerry Lacey. She played uh, one of Woody Allen's girlfriends uh, that they went to the museum, uh, that particular theme. But but she really... that Julianka character was a really solid, nobody tells me what to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, and she really was able to handle herself. And uh, it took Patapi to kill her because Patapi was the one, and we see that later in the block, uh, who uh, did what he had to do because she was, uh, she never intended to cure, she never intended to cure Quentin. She just wanted to get the hand and, and get out of there. And uh, she wasn't afraid. I thought Barnabas was going to bite her at one point to try and, uh, you know, because that's the only way that you could have corralled. She was a, that was a real taming of the shrew kind I'm of. I'm sorry, uh, but those knives, like, what is it, the lady knife, whatever? I mean, I could have kicked that lady. guy's ass. The, the dancing lady. That was a <laughs> stick of wood, by the way. That, that wasn't was, even a yeah, metal knife. That just, was a stick of wood. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, Quentin, I mean, I mean, I think any one of us could have took him, okay? That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you talk about Michael Stroka. Yeah. Uh, Aristide, and that comes, but that comes later. But, um, but, I would love to find her. Uh, she's still alive. She's 74. And uh, she's, uh, sure you know, and, and, and she was only on for four times. Or five uh, or so, but yeah. she even had a nice speech as a ghost uh, where she cursed Magda and stuff. Uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, it, it was well written. And that's another character that I would have liked to have seen stayed on the show for a while. I think, I, I think that uh, she does such a wonderful job doing Magda. She mean, Julianka, say that Julianka. I quite like the juxtaposition that Magda's like cursing, you know, put the curse on Quentin, but then she gets cursed herself. Oh, okay. Right. I quite like because it's like, you know, here you are, you've now done this. Now this is, you know, and I like that karma thing that they had going on. 
It seems like everyone basically karma in this block seems to be biting them back. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, for every every bad deed you do, you're getting something bad in return, and every good deed you're kind of getting something good in return. And I quite like that that they're doing that in this block. But I, those, have to, yeah. but I have to say that um, you know, where was Sandor this whole time? I mean, I have, I mean, for Sandor, he's died, been out right? doing the bidding of Barnabas somewhere, isn't okay, he? Or so, he? so apparently, it was explained uh, that he went to uh he went looking for the hand and he wound up staying with in canada with uh with the tribe there uh and uh we do have that one episode uh where he uh he comes he actually thayer david plays both xandor and count Petofi in one episode right. where uh he comes where xandor comes back and he's been knifed and uh, somehow he made it back with a knife in his back from Canada to Maine, and nobody explains how that happened. You want uh, to talk about racial profiling? These poor but, gypsies, man. <laughs> I know. And he opens the door. Says, I am back, Magda. And you know, and Sandor, my big fat Sandor, where are you? Why didn't you talk to me? Where are? You? Where have you been? You, the, 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 I am. You blame Sandor for leaving. I would have. I would have biffed too. He dropped dead. <laughs> he dropped dead right in front of Magda, and Magda had a, and, and Magda uh, had a tizzy. Uh, but uh, but that's where but that's where he was, and obviously he took a little he took a little uh, sabbatical in order for Thayer David to play Count Petofi, and uh, which is probably another one of Thayer David's best roles. Uh, in, uh, you know, I mean, purely, purely evil. And, uh, the, and, and this is, I think, more of a, more of a takeoff on the werewolf of London. That's what I remember with Henry Hull, if you remember that picture from the thirties, uh, where Warner Oland, I think, played the other werewolf, which kind of, and he kind of infected Henry Hull. Uh, but, uh, but here Count Petoffi is the Warner Oland character. And, uh, you know, and, Quentin is uh, looking for guidance as to how he can be cured. And, and Patafi says, no, you have to go through the same thing I did. I lost my hand over this and you're going to have to, and, and, and you, you don't get away with being cured that easy. You have to suffer more. Uh, but uh, much it, to do about this hand, uh, much to do about the hand, Mr. Collins. Uh, but, but that's how, but, but that's how Sandor is killed off. And at least they, at least they have they have him appear in one scene one more time, and uh, so that's how that happens. I have to then say I kind of because as we know this you know basically from numerous um, testimony and interviews that we've done with the staff, of course they would start filming and then they just went straight through without any breaks. And I'm kind of wondering like that must have been a hell of a quick change between you know David Thayer doing. Sandor and then doing Patafi in the same episode. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That was that was a nice little uh, that was a nice little makeup change. And they and they had that once in a while. Well, they had that with Briscoe when he played Tom Jennings the vampire. But all but all Briscoe had to do was put in fangs to play Tom Jennings. And uh, then when he played Chris Jennings, he was normal. So this thing was a much bigger makeup job. I agree with oh, yeah. uh, Mayor David. It's yeah. more than just putting you know, getting rid of the guy liner that. Um, <laughs> 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 exactly. But, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting. I mean, you know, and, you know, this is all about, you know, the reason why this, you know, this our scene one's kind of put together this way, because this is all about, I mean, this, this all goes about kind of cure Quentin and the curse sort of thing, you know, and um, and that's the way this. And the, the hand of Kampatafi is quite interesting because there's also a downside to this as well, because it's if you don't know what the hell... Prop too. Well, if you don't know what the hell you're doing with this hand, it basically has dire consequences to you. You know, I mean, we saw what it ha- what it does to Evans' face. I mean, it turns him into mm-hmm. like a drooling. Yeah, what is it? I mean, it just gives you leprosy or something if it, you piss it off. Is that what's going on? Yeah, but then we also see it happens to Quentin as well. You know, because when Quentin's in the jail cell later on, that basically it's a, you know if it's not used properly, that basically I mean. This is, you know, this is like, you know, this is one of those magic things that basically if you don't do it to the letter and you're not the right person doing it and so forth and so forth, it's not going to work out for you. It can't be. Also, not anyone can yeah. pick it up and just do it. Which I thought also was quite this, There's also this implication that the hand has a life of its own. Uh, and uh, so in addition, I mean, you can you can ask the hand to do something and it'll either do it or it won't. So it cured charity of uh, the vampirism. Uh, and that was the first thing it did. Uh, but then the next thing it did was to uh, to to make uh, Evan Hanley's face into a monstrosity. And then later on with Quentin. I saw that eyeball was hanging out. Nice touch. Yeah, but I also wonder yeah. if at the hand, I mean, they don't go into this, but you know, sometimes I like to feed more into it. I'm wondering if the hand punishes those who are not true at heart. Because at the end of the day, charity is quite true at heart. You know, and, and basically what happened to charity is not from any fault of her own. Where if you look at Evan, Evan steals the hand. And Evan's yeah, not Evan's evil heart whatsoever. He there's an evil heart going there. And Quentin is not a nice person. Every everything about Quentin is about Quentin. He doesn't care about anyone unless it's right. unless it's you know in his favor. You know, he's not gonna do anything for you or hide any of your secrets unless it's something unless you're gonna do something for him. So maybe the hand has something to do with the simple fact that you have to maybe be pure at heart, or maybe you have to be good at heart or something to that extreme, maybe. You know, they don't go into that, but it seems to be from what I can put together at the moment, trying to, you know, piece it together and think about it. It does seem to have that kind of characterization going on that Patuffy's hand can only be used by the right person. But at the same time, if it's got to be if it's going to be used for a person, there's got to be something good about that person, maybe. Right. Why does this, did they, did they specify, did I miss this, why his hand is cut off? Yes. Uh, yeah, because it was the price uh, that that he had yeah, that he had to pay for um, for the werewolf uh, for uh, the curse thing. For yeah, the curse, okay. yeah, yeah, for yeah, the yeah, curse yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was done by uh, Julianka's great grandmother. I was kind and, of half expecting Quentin to turn into a werewolf with a really more screwed up face, but they didn't. <laughs> but. Well, no, well, after he, no, that was after he, Quentin turned into the werewolf while Angelique was trying to use the hand on him. Right. Quentin was turned into the werewolf right away with no full moon. And then the next morning he was in jail. And because they, because they, they, no, I mean, I thought when he was, 
I thought maybe when he was going to turn into the werewolf, oh, he was ugly, the, the ugly face. I thought he was going to have an ugly kind of werewolf. First, no, they haven't, they haven't turned into the werewolf first, and then, and then the bear trap. Uh, which bear is, trap, yeah. I'm surprised. Right out of that thing. <laughs> so I'm surprised they didn't think of that uh, for Chris. And uh, then, yeah. uh, then, then the next morning he woke up uh, with the ugly face in the jail. And uh, that, so that's how that, but that, but, but then such a pretty face to make ugly. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And then uh, later on, uh, later on, he turned later on, it turned back into David Selby's face again with, and we'll talk about that in another scene, that horrible pit and pendulum. That's the worst. Oh God. Yes. The worst thing they ever I was did. thinking of you guys as soon as I saw that. They, worst so, oh, Edgar Allan, little Edgar Allan Poe action. Worst ripoff I have ever. It was going so well, and then they put that damn thing in. I did. I, I know. So we'll talk about like, that. Like, oh no, watch out for the butter knife. What? Oh god. <laughs> oh, god. And the we, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more sooner because there's some thoughts yes. about how that thing to be pointed out. Our next scene, too, is all going to be about Barnabas. Because Barnabas' storyline, while the one with previous is going on, Barnabas has his own problems, which starts out with Barnabas orders Beth to guard him during the day when he lies vulnerable in his coffin. Dirk reveals to Bar- Barnabas' secret to Jameson. After Jameson discovers his coffin, Barnabas attacks Dirk. Edward investigates um, Jameson's story about a coffin in the basement of the old house. Pansy Faye, a mentalist friend of Carol... Car- Car- Carl, sorry. <laughs> Carl's attempts to locate the missing Dirk. Dirk attacks Tim, Judith, and Rachel. Dirk tells Barnabas that he must bring Laura back to life. Um, Dirk forces Judith to shoot Rachel. Edward follows Judith to the abandoned coffin and discovers that Dirk's coffin is hidden there. Carl hears Pansy's voice in the graveyard. Quentin locks Carl in the secret room of the mausoleum. Barnabas suspects that Carl has revealed his secret. Trust accuses Barnabas of murder. Barnabas finds his coffin chained with a cross on it and demands that Chastity hide him in the school. Trust tries to use Charity to trap Barnabas. As Barnabas is about to bite Charity, Nora appears. Evan Hamley confronts Barnabas. So basically, Bar- while all Barnabas is trying to help Quentin out and so on and so forth, we got Barnabas having his own trouble because it seems like everyone's figuring out that Barnabas is a vampire. And this is probably the first time that Barnabas' secret has been kind of loudspeakered across Collins. Okay. <laughs> and they're taking it rather hard, too. They're surrounded by all these supernatural people and they're all pissed off about a vampire. I mean, come on now. But I mean, when, he, when we get to the pansy part, though, you know, what kept going through my mind. You ever watched um, Time Bandits with. Uh, oh, yeah, that was with, a, uh, with John. Cle- or was it Michael Palin? He's talking pansy, pansy, <laughs> the problem pansy. That's going through my head the whole time I was watching that scene. Well, I have to give hats off to Carl. Um, mm-hmm. He did mm-hmm. good. I never. I mean, God, I mean, he. You can tell that he's having a lot of fun doing it. Carlin. Carlin. Like, yeah. Oh, my well, my Pansy. Pansy. I know. I mean, it, I don't I know how they did it with a straight Pansy face. All you, I know. It's like, how did they do that with a straight face and not crack up live? I'll never know. I mean, the just the reserve that he had. I mean, I would have been dying. Well, 
on on the um, discs of Dark Shadows, I'm I'm going back to the disc now that Amazon's gone charging now. Um, so going back to the disc, so at the end of each disc, you get normally get an interview. Mm-hmm. And David Sel- Selby is actually being interviewed. And he said the hardest thing about doing the show with John Carlin is is that you, if John Carlin wasn't on camera, he'd be underneath the camera making faces at all of them while they're trying to take everything. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, I wish I had the Blu-ray box. They don't sell them anymore. But that was the director let him do that, you know, so, that, so the director must have liked them. I uh, think John Carlin probably, you know, I, th- I think... He's so diverse. He really oh, yeah. is a great actor. And we got to see him a bit more diverse this time around, because normally things are kind of like Willie or Willie-esque sort of thing. And Carl is like, he got he was able to let loose a little bit. So that's yep. why I like, you know, yep. I quite like him. I know. It's so, it's so nice seeing him do this, though, because you're right. I think he did have a lot of fun with this role. You know, I mean, and why, I mean, of course, they had to make him the idiot brother, of course, you know. Right. You couldn't do it to Selby. You couldn't do it to Edward. You know, well, it's and funny Edward, because like, totally blind. These all these blocks. Well, Edward is very Victorian, but God the, is he? Yeah, but the funny thing with, with but but here you're talking about John Carlin, you know, doing all these aping things. But if you think about it, I mean, the, the, that's what Carl is all about. Carl is the clown, and Carl is, you know, when we first meet him, he he gives the uh, he, he gives that gun and he points it at Barnabas's head, and he's all scared, and it turns out to be fib. You know, you see fib, uh, the you know when the you know. It's a fake gun and everything. So, so just like Carlin is a bit of a practical joker, so is Carl. So I think the two seem to really, really gel together. And uh, but when he was uh, scared to death in the coffin in the uh, mausoleum, I mean, uh, and he was locked in the mausoleum, and uh, uh, they weren't going to who locked him in the mausoleum again? Quentin. Quentin, Quentin, yeah, and he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't tell him how to get out, and and he was, uh, he was, I mean, he was literally like amazing. I, He's the only one that figured out how to get out of there, though. Yep, yep. Well, because he had to sooner or later, he had to. Um, let's not forget now. Kay Fry is the first Pansy Fay, and a lot of people tend to forget that because later right. on, uh, and you know, and and uh, the old fans know this, but the new fans will find out that Pansy. That Nancy Barrett is possessed by Pansy later on, and that's right. not in this block. But Kay Fry uh, was the original, and uh, while well, you know she brought her own, and uh, interestingly enough. She's the only one, of course, when you hear her, she's using her British, her Cockney accent when she talks. Like I know, Pansy. I love that kind of I want to dance too. with you. Wanna dance I know, with she did such a way. good job of that. I thought I was watching an episode of like Sweeney Todd or something. I'll do the Uchiko. That, that, that's right, Vicky. Uh, but one of the episodes had uh, Kay Fry doing the voiceover uh, in the beginning. And that's the only time you hear Kay Fry talking in her normal accent uh when she does the voiceover because uh she actually that's right she actually in the she does the voiceover at the beginning of the show and you actually hear her do her 
uh, her regular accent, her regular American accent. So I think that's very, very interesting uh, for, you know. Do you notice it seems like some of our best actors lately, like, I mean, like, I I make no bones that I love Yellowstone, but the girl that plays Beth is British, you know, and it just, it seems like in in a lot of the Walking Dead and the spinoffs, there's so many British people. I do not understand how they do so well with American or English accents. You know, when they when they just do just a fantastic job. I mean, it must be have to they must have to constantly think, you know, about well how they're going to say their 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 script. I mean, I I think that's you know quite yeah, a. It doesn't work. Really, it doesn't normally work very well the other way around. Americans doing English accents. No, they 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 totally mutilate the any British or Australian accent. I don't know why that well, is. Australians but... and, and English people pretend to do a very good American accent. That you don't they do. That, I mean, I, I just wonder, I, I just find it, I wonder if they have to constantly, you know, in their head, remind themselves, you know, to do it. Because you can't tell. You would never know that they were British. I think you just have to get yourself into the character. And, right, I, think, and, right. and I think it's an amazing thing about British people being able to do American accents. They're outstanding uh, at it. Because they really it's, are. it's not easy. It's, I think it's a lot easier for an American to do a British. I don't know. But it's a lot easier, I think, for an American to do a British accent than it is the other way around. Uh, especially if you, you know, if you, if you've grown up, uh, with a traditional, uh, English accent. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's great. I, uh, who does that? Well, um, Jane Seymour, I think does that very well. She does an American yes. accent very well too. Sure. Sure. And on, uh, you were talking about her Dr. Quinn medicine woman. She does a great. I loved that show in the nineties. Loved it. Loved it. She does a great. Uh, American accent in, uh, in, and, uh, and what's her name? Uh, Tom, uh, Tom Cruise's, uh, Tom Cruise's, uh, ex-wife. ex-wife. What's, what's her Nicole name? Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman also does a great American accent. I couldn't believe the first time Nicole Kidman has a British accent and I, it, it normally, and I, and I couldn't believe it. I thought she was Australian. Yeah, or maybe yeah, that's yeah. it. Maybe Australian. Yeah. 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 Perhaps I could she does be wrong. An Australian accent, but but I but, mean, all her roles are playing Americans. First yeah. time I heard her real accent, I was amazed. Uh, you know, just I like uh, Nicole Kidman. Hugh she Jackman gets a bad rap, Australian. but I like her. Yeah, but Hugh I'm Jackman sorry? as well. Wolverine, he's Australian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, Femke Jensen, who was in the X Men films. I mean, she's you know European. She's got an American. You know, she does her American accent, so it's quite interesting. What did y'all think I, about Trask in any of these episodes? Is he like a total douchebag or what? Um, does it does that this the, the genetic strain <laughs> in that family? I don't know, but I mean we'll we'll get more into Trask when we get into more of the do this storyline, but because we but in this part of the story, I mean he's so calculating and it's that it's that thing, you know, it's that religious thing, isn't it? That basically yeah. is like... The hypocrisy so, of it all. Yeah, there's so much hypocrisy with that character. And, and didn't and, he you know, catch, he caught, um, what's his face, doing a satanic ritual. And it didn't seem, and then he appeared, but that was the last... That's the, right, uh, Evan Hanley. But, but Evan I mean, Hanley, so and clearly then, he's not a God-fearing man. And, right? And, and, you know, instead of, instead of uh, Trask, you know, bashing him, he wants to like now. What can I do to you know to get my uh, what? What can I do to take advantage of this situation? Uh, and, and I think there's more meat to Trask 
to the to the Gregory Tress character this time around. Oh yeah, uh, but they're yeah. identical. You know, I, I thought that they would kind of like try to. Well, like, they kind of are identical, except for not longer here. Well, I but. think that again, if you if you look at the minister or the priest outfit, anyway, that 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 that's rarely rarely changes through history. Yeah, anyway, history. that's true. So that's there, true. I think there's I think there's that. You know, in order to keep him the, the high collared and the. I mean, he's a minister, I guess. He's not a priest, but he does wear the collar. He's got his own church, so to speak. Uh, he's got a social life, too. Oh, uh, that is definitely boy. intimated. Yes, yes, yes. And and didn't you like, and let's remember, Clara's Blackburn is Minerva. Now, now she was. She's, she's she very was good at it. Good. She was very, oh, my. You know, they she had She looks like the typical old school, you know. Arm, you know. Yeah, that's the, right. Slap Another thing about that family, it's all about bringing money into the family. I mean, Charity, oh, you need to marry Carl. Carl's dead. Oh, now you need to go to Quentin. <laughs> you know, it's all not about very Christian, is it? You know, not very yeah, Christian. You know, it's all about marrying where the money is because right. it's not about marrying mm-hmm. for love. It's about marrying for money sort of thing. And even Minerva mentions that to Charity as well. Yeah, she about. does. Well, one wonders what money Minerva had for Trish. I feel to marry so her. bad for Nancy Barrett's character in this block. I just feel so bad for her. That poor well, girl, you know, she doesn't know what the right thing to do is. She's trying to make everybody happy. Barnabas keeps biting her. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, you know, and, but- that's right. Uh, and uh, And I think that's basically why they got rid of. Uh, not in this block, but later on, they will get rid of the charity character because she was too much of a goody. Uh, she was, too, you know, she was she basically mirrored her father. And after a while, you yeah, know, it's kind it's of gonna weird. Get, it's going it, it to get boring, setup. you know, after a while. But, I mean, you but know, at the same time, she 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 is a firm believer in love. Mm-hmm. She wants to be in love. She wants to find a man to be in love with, you know. You know, because I, mean, I, I think she, I think she was in love with Tim anyway. She you know, was. They, I they think. really go into it, but I think there's that. Then, then you have well, Carl. She kind of threw herself out, but Quentin then too. She but liked she has Quentin. to think for Quentin as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Quentin's think, pretty hot, so. Well, Quentin's with practically everyone in the show. Uh, yeah, but I think the thing is, that, but the thing about Quentin though is that, yeah, he might be good looking, but he is but he's very a douche. Black, but he's very black at heart. I mean, yeah, he's, he's not a nice. He's got. A, he's not a nice person. He's at a all. narcissist. Look what he did to his wife. Sure, sure. And I still can't figure out whether he's in love with Beth or not. I still can't believe he didn't know he had two children. He still doesn't know. It took him, oh, no, no. He, he finds he out like His wife was pregnant and had two children. Well, he's, he took off with, um, who's he what? To Alexandria. Laura, Laura. Laura. But at the same time, I mean, how long were they gone for? I, mean, I still don't understand why they kept that a secret. Well, I mean, the thing is, is like, um, I think, I think to keep it a secret, I think it has a lot to do with those are Collinses. There is that thing about they are. Oh, that's mystery. right. She was a gypsy, but they didn't know she was a gypsy. They, they, they're. I think they must have known because it's. I mean, she's mixed race, isn't she? She's I mean, very, very. They don't pale go with red it, hair. But, but they don't go into it. But there is a reason why you institutionalize that. Your nieces and nephews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what they've done. They Edward institutionalized his niece and nephew. 
because he didn't like their mother. So he must have known something about her or something. I think another reason why they that why they wanted those kids away from Collinwood were they were probably afraid that th- that they would be eventual heirs or at least right. challenge Jameson right. for the you know for that privilege, and uh, that's the last thing they wanted was Quentin's kids to take over, which means that maybe Quentin would have that. Uh, possibility. It would have been an interesting dynamic had that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, and then uh, there's also a simple fact: is like, why did they chain her up in the tower at the house? Yeah, he's like, well, she keep, kept trying to knife people. That's true. That's true. You but can't have all, somebody in the guest about, bedroom when she's trying to do that. You know, it's always right. it's all about keeping the good family name, isn't it? I mean, they could have institutionalized her where she could have got help, but no, we're gonna. Keep her mad, locked up there, and hopefully that maybe. Oh well, yeah, but back then it was so. But back then it was all about the aristocracy and money and and you know mm-hmm. was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but another thing is though that if you had money, which they do, you can pay a lot of people to be quiet in this institutional. Well, sure, they well, did. They don't, but they're so. But the Collins family are a bit cheap anyway. I mean, this, this, this <laughs> oh, they're miserly as all get they're out. They're miserly as well. Hell. That's how they got their money because <laughs> so, they didn't pay you know, so, we, you know, so basically, Edward just rather like instead of like paying money to get her treated or hide her away or something like that, we'll just do it at home. Okay, fine. You know, we'll keep her out. dirty. We'll never brush her hair. We won't let her bathe. You know, it's, I mean. And she's and, such a beautiful woman. That was so hard to watch. And when they fi- and when she finally, uh, she's in Josette's room. And when she finally uh, realizes, you know, she starts to uh, get her hair together and everything. And you really see Marie Wallace's beauty. I mean, afterwards, and you realize what a great makeup job they did. And yeah. pl- pl- plus, uh, Marie Wallace's ability to to do that crazy lady thing. I mean, you know, you really feel it's really good at it. A, a piece of dirt. And then, then, then she sees, and I believe there's going to be one more scene. And that's, we're not going to say yeah. when, when you're going to see Jenny come back just one more time. And, uh, that, got, and, you know. and, and we're not going to say when, but, uh, you got Dirk. I, he's going all batshit. This is clearly Roger Davis's best role. It uh, and is. When, he did a fantastic job. Now, and, 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 and the way he evolves when he's first bitten by Barnabas, he's more of a Renfield type character. You know, he's kind of yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's kind of you know, kind of freak. As, no, he was being a little freaky when Laura was doing her mess. mess yeah, but mess but that was more of an adulation, and uh, I'm you know, and he was uh, I'll do whatever you want, and then we'll go off into the yeah, sunrise that's, together. That's, not, that's Dirk thinking, you know, thinking with a little head instead of the big head. So, but yeah. but but Berg, but after Barnabas bites him, he, I I didn't know whether he was a vampire or not yet when I saw it. I hadn't seen. Well, he the died. By, I think he drained him a later, little too much. Later, well, yeah. that was yeah, that was later. But the first time he and, and you know, and you see him, and he was he was found in the. Uh, in that side room, uh, right off the drawing room, with a with a with a, with the blood gushing down his neck, that was a very good scene. Uh, but then, after a while, he comes back. He tries to chat to strangle Judith, and uh, he's really a <laughs> feel, he's, this he's, poor he's, woman. Everything happens to that that poor woman. Oh, let's give Joan Bennett a lot of credit. I think uh, Joan Bennett God, did please. a great friggin' job. 
uh, in uh, I, I think it is later I mean, on in the block. So I'm not going to talk about this. Are to like shoot Rachel and kill Rachel. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And that was, but, but you see, that's all about anyway. But anyway, Roger is Dirk. So at first, before he becomes a vampire, I think he's more of a Renfield, you know, a, a Renfield type and giggling and gaggling. And then when he becomes a vampire, and of course they got him with that wonderful eyeshadow. Uh, they and- made him look like a damn good vampire. He was really scary looking. I have to admit. <laughs> he looked, I mean, Barnabas wouldn't have scared me near as much as he did. Yeah, there's a there's a story there's a story, and I, I don't know it was a, it was a rumor kind of thing. But one of the reasons Joan Bennett got very mad at him uh, because Roger always was in the habit of being very physical in terms of his roles, and when he bit Judith, oh, yeah, yeah. when he bit Ju- when he bit Joan Bennett. Uh, he did it a little too strongly, and something fell out of Joan Bennett's pocket. And we will not say what it was, uh, but it was something that she didn't want anybody to see. So uh, essentially... Well, now I'm intrigued. I'll tell you guys after the podcast is over. Uh, but It wasn't a sex toy, was it? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah, really? Nope, nope, nope. You got nope. a random bullet under <laughs> keychain? That would make a really good story. <laughs> All right, I'll say, but this is a rumor because a I rumor. don't want fans okay. coming. I don't want the fans coming and slinging arrows and stuff like that. But the rumor is that that uh, she had a little flask in her pocket, which she used to kind of like to nip, nip, take a nip once in a while. Well, Joan they were Bennett. all nipping on that show, though. So Joe Bennett had a little nippy flask in the pot, and that fell out. Of the uh, pocket while Roger was, uh, while Roger was uh, busy throttling her, and she was very upset about that because uh, she. Didn't I'm gonna have to go back and watch that. She has name to portray, isn't But that's the rumor. The rumor. Allegedly. There, yes, indeed. Allegedly. But, but getting back to but getting back to Roger now, once he becomes, you know, at first he evolves. At first he's, you know, blood, blood, blood. I must have blood, and he's biting everybody in sight, and he bites, and he bites <laughs> Judith, yeah. and he bites. Uh, what is he bites Rachel, and he even even bite. Well, there's a hint that he bites uh, uh, Briscoe. <laughs> I think he did. He bites Briscoe, <laughs> and but then. Then there's a maturity come, and now he's like a much smarter, a much smarter, more intelligent vampire, uh, kind of almost to the extent he's Barnabas without the neurosis. Yeah. Uh, that you know, and and he's like uh, more like the more like the traditional Dracula kind of type, yeah. uh, you know, more like the Christopher Lee Dracula in horror. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can read with that. I yeah. Can, yeah. And, 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 and it's, and, and you see Roger's range, you see his range and uh, it's, it's, he did and, a fantastic and, job in this block. Well, he also, he also enjoys, he also enjoys his new, you know, in, you know, his new, you know, his new role. He, I mean, it's like, you know, Barnabas doesn't want to be a vampire. He loves being a vampire. So, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting off on this. I'm, I got a new lease on life. I am now powerful, and that's sure, quite, because quite interesting. He can take revenge on Judith, and this is basically why he went after her. And he's kind of thinking, you know, while he's talking to her, hey, you know, you deserve to get it, and I'm going to give it to you uh, because you've been treating me like a, you know, like a real. I'm no longer your servant. You're my servant, and I'm going to show you how you're my servant in a minute. You know that kind of thing. So he's like literally, uh, you know, uh, 
and, uh, and and then of course, yeah, and he has Judith. Uh, uh, Judith, yeah, he does. He has Judith shoot, shoot Rachel dead. Yeah. And uh, you have a nice little, you have, I think, I don't know, Catherine Lacecott may have been getting a little tired of, because Rachel was a very, very good, goody, goody also. Honestly, I don't think they knew what to do with her. I, I yeah. don't either. I mean, right? she, she yeah. really, there you know, was I no do, I do think it's that, it's that Victoria Winters thing, though, because she's kind of stepping into Victoria Winters. As, That's um, right. That's right. Did those shoes. So she was the governess. You're absolutely the governess, right. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. then she was at the school. Then she couldn't wait. You know, it was all kind of. It was all very, very wishy washy. Sure. Um, and I had to sit there and say, for Kathleen, I think Catherine, Catherine Lee Scott does a fantastic part in it. But the character is this kind of really wet character that really doesn't go anywhere. You know. You know, she's she's all, and she's too much the victim of everything. She's the victim of the trash. She's the victim of oh, that poor woman. They make her the victim of everything. She's the most victimized heroine I've ever seen. Yeah, the perils of Pauline. And because you got so much strong storylines going around, there's not much for her to do. I mean, she disappears for a lot of it. I wish they would have made her like a vampire. Oh, maybe we should be feeding David. He shouldn't be, I mean, Jameson, he shouldn't be locked in there. Nora shouldn't really be locked. Maybe, you know, maybe we need to be a little bit kinder to the children. Or, oh, woe is me. Tim's not paying me enough attention. No, it was all that. (laughs) Was this this the block where uh, Tresk's uh, uh, school burned down? Uh, Or was that the way? This is the block. um, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with our, you know, one of the next scenes that we got coming up. And I think that has a lot to do with his newfound love interest that, ha- that starts to happen here. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of wondering, like, cause we never really find out about the school burning down, how that happened. It seemed to be fireman Laura was sitting there and piping the flames up at the school whenever she did, you know, I mean, whenever she needed to call her kinfolk, but then all of a sudden just burned down out of the blue. <laughs> it's like, okay. Somebody, bro- I'm trying to remember, I thought they mentioned who, who just started that. Oh, it's going to I, I got a feeling. I mean, I, I, they don't say I, you know, I, you know, when we get into the other scene, I think to me, it felt more like Trask arsoning. I have no place to go. And basically there's this hot woman with money. I think it was more that. <laughs> and I am now a widower. You know, oh, I got, God. you know, he's, it just all seems a bit too convenient. Being. You know what I mean? It's just like. He's an awful person. Trash. <laughs> what amazes me was how Judith, who was so emancipated in the beginning when she got Granny's yeah, money. What the hell happened? And, and she falls for him. And then one day she agrees to marry him. Uh, it's, 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 it's like, wait a minute, you know, this is not the, this is not the, I'm going to be the the mistress of Collinwood or the, you know, that we saw before and order everybody around and handle the business. And now she's more than willing to give the business over to him. And, uh, they, they do, they do foreshadow though, foreshadow something about her and trust, you know, quite a few months before this. I mean, she's more than eager to like, give him money for a school. She's more than eager to hand over her niece and nephew over to Trask mm-hmm. when, you know, mm-hmm. when she thinks Jameson and Nora need to be guided, per se. You know, and, see, and she's more than eager to, like, whenever Trask comes there to take, you know, listen to his bollocks that he'll be coming out with some kind of garbage. Wait, you know, and now, and now, you know, so, 
even though there's so like, you know in the beginning he didn't think that this would ever come to be what we got now but you know she was always keen about him about you know for whatever she was always keen to throw money at him mm-hmm. oh he was always keen to accept it. Like, well, i'll tell you what why don't you just open the school on my land i got a spare building over here go for it you can live yeah. here house by the yeah. sea that vicky and burke would have lived in all those years ago during yeah, Chris and shadows yeah. Well, you know, it does make I mean, I mean, you know, and this is a woman who doesn't like outsiders, you know, it's like, it's like okay, here you go. You know, have the house. Here you go. <laughs> I'll be over here. That'll be fine. Yeah. Here, Absolutely. oh, you want some money? Have some money. I'll support your school, you religious hypocrite. You know, it's like, right. <laughs> and now, you know, now we here we are two months later. Whoa, what do we got here? We got. You know, good old Judith. You know, yeah, she, she, she's definitely evolved. Yeah, which good. brings us to actually scene three here, where Minerva tells Charity that she should marry Carl. At Evan's prompting, Tim poisons Minerva. Rachel suggests a hiding place for Tim where he sees the mysterious coffin. Judith offers her condolences to Trask. Gregory Trask is forced to absolve Tim of the guilt from Minerva's murder. In an attempt to take control of the Collins family wealth, Trask persuades Judith to marry him. Edward is horrified that Judith changed her will. Judith has nightmares and visits the grave of Minerva. She begins to believe that she is being haunted by Minerva's ghost. Trask and Evan con- um, conjure up a spirit of Minerva to frighten and threaten Judith. After a jail guard is attacked, Quentin escapes. He and Judith encounter Minerva's ghost. Evan and Trask try to convince Judith to sign a paper committing her to a sanitarium, and Trask is tricked to signing a confession that he is behind the murder of Minerva. I mean, so here we got Judith and basically falling in love and basically kind of going through what um Elizabeth's gonna go through her marriage later on. I feel so bad for her. <laughs> she just doesn't cut a break. It, it doesn't matter what 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 century she's in. Well, we find out now that you know this is where we find in this in this block we find out that Judith has never had a boyfriend or a suture ever. So basically she's just an old virgin. Yeah. You know. Um, oh God, I'd hate to have trash. I, mean, I guess she's got a thing with people for lamb mutton chops, I guess, because you know, mutton chops are the great big sideburns. I don't like them, I think they look awful, they're ghastly. Hmm. I just never understood the, 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 the fashion trends. People, have, you know, women are pretty, you know, they go with the dresses and stuff like that, but I've just never really gotten the sideburn thing. Like the 70s, you had that, you know. Johnny Holmes mustache that everybody had to have, (laughs) you know, the porn mustache. I also have to sit there and say my hat, um, Minerva. I mean, I can understand why Trask and Minerva married because you kind of need that pious po-faced wife, don't you, to be there, you know, to like support her pious asshole of a husband <laughs> well she wasn't much better you know i they must have had sex once and that was to have charity and that's probably yeah. the only time yeah i mean i think we find i think i 
don't they hint around that Trask was having affairs here, there, and everywhere? Well, yeah, he was always going to the theater, the opera with women, and you know, yeah. he was he was he was getting around. I think he I think he was getting around. Yeah, he put his left foot in, his left foot out, he put his left foot in, and he was shaking, shaking it all about. It all about. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'd go out to Toki and then he go back to Minerva. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I but but the, who's the one that put Tim under the Queen of Spades? Who did that to him? Was it that uh, was, Evan? That was Evan, but okay. it was but it was under the orders of Trask. Yeah, because Trask has promised Evan that if you help me out, then if I get Judith, we'll get rid of Minerva. And then I will pay you, which becomes part of the Collins. He's going to get um, a, a percentage of the Collins wealth, isn't he, Evan? Right, right. And that's all he wanted, get his little mitts on anyway. He's really well, quite greedy. And I mean, what's the point of having a school if you hate kids? <laughs> and seriously. I have yeah. to say to say about Evan, though. I mean, Evan looks really good. He looks a lot better than his previous incantation. that we Right, got. right. You know, at first I at first I I didn't recognize him. It's like, and then I was looking at him again. Oh my god, that's he just you know. lost the eyeliner. I love how they deformed him though. After he touched the hand, he's got that eyeball hanging out. He kind of reminded me of what's his face in Goonies. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who was that? What is his name? God. Oh God! I know it was John Matuzak, but yeah. wow. oh God, it's gonna drive me nuts now. Well, Swap. I will also tell you. Well, I will it's also swath. tell you. Yeah, he's drooling. I like the way he just drooled. He's sl- it was sloth on the Goonies. That's what he reminded me of. That? I don't know who he is, but he knows who we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll also tell you that after Evan got his face back, uh, and he confronts Barnabas in the um, uh, in the. Is in, in the cave, um, very very masterful, and it's almost like uh, it's almost like Nicholas Blair again. Uh, the way he's yeah. uh, the way he's really got Barnabas under his thrall. He's figured everything out with the cross and everything, and he wants the hand. And uh, you know, and, and Barnabas uh, and Barnabas uh, for once is really uh, he's flummoxed. He uh, he just doesn't know what to do. Uh, Evan has got him under a barrel, and because uh, Barnabas never thought that Evan would discover his secret, and uh, so this is. A, but again, a, a very good job on uh, uh, actually a good job in general the way uh, Humper Down the Strader was handling Evan Hanley uh, because uh, he's not Blair. But there, but especially when he does the devils, when he does the rituals, you see Blair coming back, and uh, it, it, you realize how much that Nicholas Blair character really influenced his impact on Dark Shadows. You really miss him. Yeah. What's also quite interesting is is that we kind of got Dark Shadows kind of enter this thing that if it was done today, basically it would be, be like Dynasty or something like this. It's all about controlling the Collins wealth. And that's what, right. and it's like, yeah, the ta- you know, like Trask doing a takeover with Evans, like behind it, but then Evans is got, finding a way to take over as well. And it's, it's quite interesting when you, if you, if you take out like the supernatural side of it out, there is that feel like, oh, we're going to, we're after the Collins wealth. That's what it's all about. The Collins wealth and the Collins name. And, you know, it's all about the money. It's not about, 
you know, normally in the past, it wasn't about the money. It was more about, you know, the supernatural side of it. But now we're, what's quite interesting about Trask, it's all about the money. All of it's about money. And Evans is, oh, he has, you know, he's able to use, you know, magic or whatever needs to be used to get what he wants. But it's all about, we have control of the money. It's not about the power, it's the money. Trask he's an attorney. He's an attorney, and there's an implicit uh, message that all attorneys are interested in his money. Uh, and but that may be true for a lot of them. And uh, so this was certainly a you know appearing. So one went with the other. Uh, and uh, but, also, but also Evans show. I think Evans' character is quite good because Trask might seem he's oh intelligent and everything like that, but Trask. Trask is not a very good chess player. Not, he's not as good as he thinks he is because Evans is able to stay one step ahead of him no matter what. With Trask. Right, right. And he's probably the only character who's ever able to do that. Barnabas can do it. Barnabas is always one or two steps behind Trask for some reason, which is kind of bizarre. Even, And you think that he would be more ahead of him in the game considering that he's run across Trask, you know, you know ancestor before. And there's not much difference between old, you know, Trask from 1795 and Trask 100 years later, as far as they're both seem to be the same kind of pious idiots and horrible men that they are. But Evans is the only person that's actually to give, you know, that basically can, can control Trask. But Trask has got everyone else. He plays everyone else and he gets what he wants. And he can murder his wife, get away with it. He can I know, maneuver. and you're supposed to be so godly. I mean... I, like I said, they have a terrible genetic deformity in that family, if at least his family. What, what are they all born to look alike and just treat people like shit, especially women? You know, well, you know, I don't, you know, the thing is, I ha- I think that has more to do with learned behavior. I mean, Trask is basically, I mean, he's not, don't think of Trask as a religious leader. Think of Trask as a cult leader. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. that, that makes more sense. You know, I mean, yeah. he's basically Jim Jones, or he's basically, you know, David Rush, Wake Up Texas guy, or one of yeah. those gurus. He basically like gets all these people to follow him, and next thing you know, he's dealing the women and behind you know, behind the curtain. Right, you know, that's Trask. You know, Trask is you know, think so instead of thinking like a religious leader, think of him as a cult leader, and it all makes sense, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that is a good way to look at it. I have to, you admit. know, because to be honest, I mean, his doctrine. You know, he uh, he might mention, you know, he, he cherry picks from the Bible anyway to suit right. his needs. So he's not like teaching biblical stories. He's not, you know, that, you know, let's tell you, you know, let's talk about Joan and the whale. He's not like that. He's more like, I'm going to teach you Leviticus. And this is the only book I'm going to That's right. <laughs> yeah, he's got a real boner for Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. You know, and to be honest, if, you, if you're going to base your church on Leviticus, I mean, no one's safe. I mean, you're everyone's screwed. Because, oh, God, no. I mean, you can't you know, even wear certain that's like colors the book, the book of Leviticus. Of you know, there's one book of hate in the Bible, and it's Leviticus. They, they hate. I know, they hate. They hate fashion too. You're not allowed to wear this color or that color or do the. Yeah. You know, everything's an abomination in Leviticus. Yeah. Everything. We, you know, you can't. You can't mix. You can't mix your own cloth. You can't. He's the Leviticus boy. That's yeah. exactly yeah. what it is. Women. I mean, basically, women can't remarry ever. It doesn't matter what the circumstances <laughs> are. <laughs> all women need to be stoned no matter what they do they look at someone crossly they need to be stoned you know, <laughs> you know that's everything you know yeah i but, did I mean, think I mean, I mean you know i, I did think i guess i mean you know 
I, I mean, we I said before, we kind of do get the foreshadowing of Judith you know, helping out Trask and so forth and so forth. But it's a, but I do agree with what you're saying, Tom, that, that she kind of jumps in this relationship very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, and I think I mean, she, maybe, I, do you think she she's that desperate to have an old man or do you think that she's just not, she knows she's a spinster and she just wants companionship or. I think from what they were telling us from this block is that Judith has never had a boyfriend and never had a guy interested in her ever. That's right. That's what ever. So I would guess Trask is the first guy to ever show an interest. Right. Exactly. She could be a closet lesbian. Um, Which back then in the day was taboo. To be honest, I think it would have been more interesting to have Minerva and um, Judith in a relationship than Trask and Judith. I would have, I would have really liked that myself. Yep. Now that would have been an interesting possibility. That's for sure. Um, that but what, being like a Lizzie Borden and her sister living together up in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds kind of like a flowers in the attic kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I understand that Clarice Blackburn was uh, had an alternative lifestyle. And uh, so that, that was, you know, that was surprising. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I was going to say like that. Sensible shoes. <laughs> 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 you always wore sensible shoes, no matter what characters you came back in. That's all right. Uh, I think that that her portrayal of the and it was a black ghost. Uh, essentially that uh, Evan conjured up, uh, which was uh, not really the spirit of... Uh, of the residual uh, energy, I think. Yeah, but, but she the, always got handy with a knife. Is she ever going yeah. you know, to... And luckily, I would be very that. upset. I don't care if it's a black ghost or whatever the hell. If I had something sitting there stitching that was dead, sitting there staring <laughs> at me, doing their needlepoint, I would probably... I mean, I just don't... Everybody tries to make poor Joan Bennett insane. It doesn't matter what century it is, you know? Right. <laughs> just That's like right. the poor thing. Yeah, right. you know, I will say one thing is that thank God for the genius of Clarice Blackburn. Because yes. I think that if anyone was able to do that role, it could have been hokey and it could have been really stupid. But she's freaking scary. I'm sorry. I'm like watching she it. Going, is. She did a great job. Oh my God. Just the yes. stare down, you know? No, no lyric, no, no lines, nothing. It's just I look and she's able to like. You know, even when she's got, you know, even when she's just holding a knife and she's not moving, she's not moving towards anyone. She's just got. And it's the imagination and and very easily i could imagine her from one of the 40s universal horror movies you know she was just you know stitching with you know and it was all in black and white and she was staring and you had the uh hand salter uh music and uh that uh you know that kind of thing and this uh, woman doesn't blink at all she's so dedicated she makes sure that she's not blinking she didn't make them she didn't move a muscle that way although i think 
there was one point when, oh, I think when she was first killed by Shaw and uh, she was staring up, you could kind of see, but you really, really had to look close and you had to have a very big screen and you saw her, she twitched. Her, one of her eyes twitched very, very slightly and that was it. But give her that. it was Jen like for a second. A little bit after she gets murdered in Psycho. There's a little bit of a twitch in her eye. <laughs> but I'm nitpicking. I mean, she was so good. <laughs> She was so, no, no, no. She was so good. And I think she's uh, definitely, uh, you know, for what she did in Shadows and later on, of course, her real love was writing and later on, and she got the Emmy for, was it All My Children? I think uh, that she got the Emmy for. And, uh, but, and and so she was, she was an excellent, but, but she had that, she had perfected her craft uh, in, in in portraying the, uh, these kind of, uh, these, whether it's Mrs. Johnson or Minerva uh, or uh, any kind of Mrs. Danvers kind of roles. uh, This is what she was best at. I, I mean, the only the only problem I find with her is that when you don't see her, you really miss her. And I I think and a lot of times, she, I mean, a lot of times she's just disappearing for like months on end. Also, like, it drops off like a, whatever whatever character she's doing. And I have to sit there and say that when she goes, you do miss her. She's one of the few characters that you miss when you when you realize, oh, she hasn't been on for a while. Where else she been? Yeah, you, you know, you do miss her, sort of thing, and you know because she's so brilliant. I mean. You know, she's. I mean, I say that she's better than the people that you're seeing every single day, you know, sort of thing. And I, I mean, I love. Does you know, have I love that? The, she does I have that. Yeah. I mean, you know, but you do miss her when you don't see her. I mean, I mean, look at Nora. I mean, gosh, she's she's been missing for two or three months now. <laughs> she shows up for one episode. It's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, where's she been? <laughs> right. You know. Absolutely. But yeah, I have to, you know the whole Judith and Chas thing. I yeah, I mean, I I, I do like I I did like the whole driving her mad sort of thing. It did. Mm-hmm. It, they did push the story very very quick. I mean, it went very very quick. The story just like woof, and she's gone. Judith is gone. Obviously, she had, she had a holiday book somewhere that she you know she come back with a tan after being in the sanitarium. Imagine and when we do, when she does come back, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. she normally does. <laughs> Well, I think the, I do think the performances of Joan Bennett and, uh, Clarice Blackburn are probably among the two best ones of the block. And, uh, and, and Joan Bennett later on when she's, uh, uh, taken by Dirk and, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and literally, uh, she plays a, she plays a great victim. Uh, and there's, and, and you do see a little, you do see a, 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 some of Liz, uh, as you, as you talked about, uh, in, in that. Uh, and, uh, Liz is, uh, <clears throat> even, and I always say at night when you see the, when you see the night scene, she has literally has the same hairdo that Liz does. And, uh, you kind of almost think you're looking at Liz in the 20th century. Oh, and before I forget, what about that dream that that twentieth century dream that uh, charity had? Was it the charity had uh, of uh, of of the family with the uh, with the with the marionettes and the clowns and Carolyn Carolyn with the puppet 
and stuff like that. Do you remember? Do you remember that the birthday party for uh, yeah, the birthday party for awesome. David? The birthday party for David. David's good. That was it. Jameson had the dream. Jameson had the dream that David was going to die, and and he goes to and he's you know and he he talks to Judith and he said. You know, Judith says, saying to Barnabas, who's David Collins? And Barnabas is like, how do you know about David Collins? And the dream that he had, and they all go back to the 20th century characters and Carolyn and Roger, and, uh, and it's in the old house. And they have the, uh, and Carolyn is manipulating the puppet and, you know, and talking like the puppet. And then Quentin appears. And at first he doesn't speak and he's like the Quentin's ghost and stuff. But then he starts to tell David about the three things that will happen uh, as as to how Quentin died. First that a bullet, first that a silver bullet right. was found. Uh, uh, the last one was uh, that the woman he loved would uh, reject him right. and he would die soon after. And I'm trying to think of what the second one was. Wait, it was the bullet. It was. Well, it was the first thing. Bullet, bullet. There was his rejection. There was something. Oh, God, that's going to bug the crap out of me now. I'm trying to think of what the second one was. But the first one was the bullet. The third one was the uh, the third one was uh, he would be rejected by somebody that he loved. And then he would die soon after. And what was the second one? But anyway, oh, that was what the, yeah, you'll find it, Vicky. But anyway, that was what the dream was about. Right. And uh, I thought that it was very, very, uh, uh, it reminded me of, uh, what the heck was that picture? Uh, the macabre, the macabre circus kind of, uh, uh, kind of picture. Um, oh my God. Uh, it was a 19th Carnival of Souls. It reminded oh, yeah. me of like a Carnival oh, of Souls yeah. kind of atmosphere, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, especially Carolyn with the puppet, you know, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. You know, that kind of thing. That was just the creepiest friggin' birthday party. <laughs> it was like the Mad Hat. I was waiting for the rabbit to show up. With yeah, the yeah, Pocket yeah. Watch. Love that. Love that. Absolutely love that. And, uh, but of course, the one blooper in that, in that, of course, it was in the old house drawing room. The one blooper was its picture of Josette was up on the wall. I didn't notice. I didn't. Yeah, I did. And in the current, of course, in the present, it's the picture of Barnabas on the wall. And they forgot to take the picture of Josette off the wall from the 1897 segment. So that picture of Josette was in the dream in the, in the, in 1968, which was, uh, which was cool. Uh, but I, but it was, uh, it was, it was so outre, uh, and, and, and just the kind of thing that Dark Shadows did best, but it was also, but it was well done. It wasn't like the dream curse where, you know, you knew it was going to happen. We shall not speak of the dream curse. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice when it was happening. But after a while, it was, you knew it was the dream curse. Everyone gets, the, gets dream. Everyone the dream curse. curse. Everyone yeah. gets the dream curse. But, you know, you knew what was going to happen. Just another door. And it was like a carnival sideshow, you know, that kind of, that was like a carnival sideshow with the mirrors and everything. But this was, uh, this was quite different and it was quite, cre- and it was quite creative. And yeah. uh, to hear Quentin speak, 
uh, in the 20th century, which he had never done before because he was always silent and glaring and menacing and stuff like that. But to actually hear Selby speak and give a monologue about how he, about how he died. And of course, now David's going to die and everything. And that's, you know, and David is dead. David is dead. You know, that kind of, so that was, I think that's, I think that's definitely something that's a highlight of this block uh, that I remember. Now we go to scene four. Um, this is quite a short one. And this is kind of its mm-hmm. own scene because it's really hard to fit this in anywhere else. Charity dreams of a romantic interlude with Quentin while his music plays. Barnes attempts to free the werewolf. Charity looks at the portrait of Quentin and sees the werewolf. A woman is attacked by a werewolf and Charity accuses Quentin. Um, this, is con- this is kind of, I mean, this kind of fits in with the storyline, but it's but within this having its own kind of storyline, it was kind of an odd thing because random. Yeah, it was kind of random because you got the music and then you got her dream sequences. And then she sees that Quentin's, I guess she's still standing by Quentin or something. I mean, because remember she sees that, you know, Quentin killed the woman. So <laughs> this woman bleeds purple. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> there's like I purple blood coming that. out of her. Yeah, it's all purple. I don't know what was I'll going on. I'll go back there. and rewatch. I will say though that this is probably the first music video that anybody ever saw on TV. Yeah. Uh, the I wanted this is the I want to dance with you. Uh, first, really, the first music video before anything else came across. So, yeah. Dark Shadows, yeah. So, Dark Shadows was uh, also uh, kind of groundbreaking in that it is in that ten years before the MTV. Uh, song like it, that song hit the top twenty, didn't it? What's that? Yes. Uh, well, I no, that was Quentin's theme. Quentin's theme. Quentin's theme yeah. Oh, I think. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah. No. No. So this was the dream. This was the music video with Quentin's theme. Yes, and it was in the top twenty in nineteen sixty-eight, and uh, you know, and the shadows of the night. Yeah, and and, and Quentin. Now. They did. Put, they did push this song a lot during. This me and Jesse through. tried to get him to sing that to us, but it wasn't happening. Well, I well, I was the one <laughs> that sang it. Well, it. Well, I didn't. Oh, yeah, I did sing it last time. Oh no, not last time, but the time before that. Uh, we're but, talking about uh, David Selby. He went and sang it for us, but oh, no, he did but, recite poetry for me, so that was yes, just good. Yes, Speaking of music, before I lose my, like, you guys have watched Ghost Story, correct? Yeah. Is this mm-hmm. the same music? Are they borrowing that music for Ghost Story because it's almost identical? That music. I'm just going. This is the movie to go story. And it's just this the music. It was, it's making me crazy. I wouldn't be surprised. They did. Um, uh, Curtis did uh, Dr. Did the adaptate, the TV adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with Jack uh, Palance. And uh, Jack that Palance. was and, and, and uh, I Want to Dance with You uh, was used in that. Uh, also, in picture of Dorian Gray, Quentin's theme might have been you know, right. That was also right. so. It was definitely used by Curtis and a couple of other uh, 
a couple of a couple of other works but uh yeah the quentin's theme uh was uh i love that theme song i don't know why i love the music that i I, I love josette's theme i just love the the composer when he composed some of robert cobert yeah i i really enjoy the the theme i mean Mm -hmm. i really like the music i didn't mind quentin's theme i do have to sit there and say though it did feel like for like four episodes in a row, they were really pushing that. Because, well, they yeah. were. Because you got like, you got him listening to it. Then you got um, Judith coming in and he's like, she can't mm-hmm. recognize for whatever reason. And they'll keep and then pushing right it. Afterwards, you get the dream sequence where basically, you know, it's playing and he's reciting it from, you know, from the beginning. Right. Again. right. And, then, and then the next episode, he's doing it again. He's listening to the song and he's reciting it again. So it's almost like. While we're really pushing this single, because <laughs> I can well, like, I knew that was released. It was like, God, oh, they're really pushing the single. Well, so. I wouldn't be surprised because at around this time you had the Ranwood single, the forty-five LP of Quentin's theme, and you also had the first Dark Shadows LP, and uh, that makes sense. So they probably were pushing it around the same time that the record was coming out, especially right. the LP. Uh, so. Uh, you know, so, you know, I think that was probably the reason. Uh, but they also wanted the fans to identify. And it was very easy for the fans to do that uh, because you got the whole explanation that he likes to listen to it when he's alone and it makes him feel whole from before he was a part of a person and, 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 and so forth. So there's all kinds of psychological overlays as well right, as the right. fact that it's a nice tune. And, it is. I love it. And, yeah. And the, and the verses uh, got a nice message. Uh, very romantic, you know. In this world that we know now, life is here, then gone. But somewhere in the afterglow. So let's look forward to the next life. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Good and bad, but it's uh, but when you're feeling sad, it's you're given something to hope for. And especially in Quentin's case with his werewolf thing. I mean, uh, uh, if any, if anybody needs to hear the Quentin C message, he does. So I think that's, uh, that's something to look at as well. This brings us to scene five, which we'll be finishing up um, our coverage, and that deals with Armistead sets in motion a cursed blade, which will kill Quentin, unless Armistead can get... Aristide. 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 I like Armistead better. He regained the hand. Victor explains that he once owned the hand. May just soon realizes that... Victor is Count Patofi. After Patofi leaves Collinwood, it is discovered that he now possesses Jameson. Beth Chavaz appears to be under the influence of Barnabas, but she is not. Charles Delaware arrives to paint Quentin's portrait. We'll get into that one. Uh, Charity thinks she is pansy. Aristide reveals that Kate's gifts are from Patofi. Jameson finds the Collins family history book and queries how Barnabas traveled through time. Now we get the pendulum. <laughs> now this is um I mean this basically where everything changes. Right. And that's gonna say fantastic. Michael right. Michael Stro um uh, Stroda. Stroka. I mean Stroka. he's very, very 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 camp, but very, very good. He's uh, interesting. Patafi coming close and I mean Jameson. 
being being possessed. I mean, yeah, that fantastic. was great. That was great. I agree. Uh, I agree. You know, my you know Michael Stroke. Interestingly enough, uh, in researching his background, he and he's a New Jersey boy, uh, but he also grew up watching horror films and stuff like that. And he was always, uh, and he was always kind of interested in that. So I, I think he really he was on Dark Shadows for a year, and he really did enjoy the role. And I think he uh, developed a little bit of a mini fandom of his own. He enjoyed attending the conventions. I remember him. Uh, very well. Um, he passed away, unfortunately, from cancer in 97. Uh, and that was a big blow to the Dark Shadows fandom, uh, at that point because, uh, he was, uh, he was really the new, I guess, the new hottie on the block or something because aside from Selby, uh, and, and, and Briscoe appeared uh, from time to time as Shaw, uh, but you didn't see him as often. No. And, and I yeah. That. And yeah, I don't know either. But uh, maybe because I don't know if they were doing the Dark Shadows film at that point. Uh, and uh, they needed. That was 70, uh, they, right? 70 or 70? Yeah, no, that was later then. That was later. Uh, this was 1970, though. So, I mean, if yeah, the moment, yeah, remember, that came out in 1970. They could have started filming and putting things together in 1969. I mean, we're at the we're at the end of the summer of 69 here. That's correct. So they may have started maybe because they needed, and that's one thing we should say about Don Briscoe <clears throat> that we that we forgot to mention in the um, in the tribute that uh, was done for him uh, last month is that he was also in House of Dark Shadows and uh, portrayed uh, Carolyn's uh, Todd, uh, Carolyn's, uh, when Carolyn became a vampire in that movie. Uh, so I think that, uh, so I think that Michael Stroka, certainly in 16 Magazine, Michael Stroka was was uh, the the next, uh, the the next person that uh, that all the high school kids idolized, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a Zinfandel and salute Michael Stroka uh, in his memory. May his memory be a blessing while I'm at it. Uh, I think he was I think he was great for Shadows, even if he did have a wooden a, a wooden knife. Uh, that was. <laughs> I still say we could have took him. <laughs> um, you know, the, only thing, the only thing about Mike Estrada, which I think that they missed the beat on, and you know, I mean, they don't do this anyway, but it would have been fantastic to have him come back as like Barnabas's son or something. Or I something. know, I really he looked like him. I agree with you. He looked like Fred, didn't he? He could, he could yeah. have passed for it. Could have yeah. been Barnabas's long lost brother or something. Well, they we all know Barnabas. Must they could have a parallel time stuff, where so. they've actually what what would happen if sort of thing. And he was in parallel time, but he didn't play Barnabas's brother. Yeah. Uh, and we'll they could we'll be Barnabas and or something. I mean, they. I mean, they I, really I agree with you. Lot. They really that that was a missed opportunity. Uh, on their on their part, because if Jonathan wanted, uh, Jonathan was happy because David Selby took the load off of him. Uh, right. While all this, well, Stroka could have could have really fit in quite naturally, but I think they liked Stroka more as the uh, Count Patafi's whipping boy, you know. Yeah, and the, yeah. Uh, but there, but there is a the, even their acting style. There's a similarity to their acting style as well. I found as well. You think? 
the way they deliver a line, the way that the the way they think they do the eye, the smoky eye. They both have a thing for about the smoky eye as well. Don't even get me going about that smoky eye shit again. I hate it when men can do smoky eye better than I can. <laughs> it's annoying. It's annoying. Well, blame the makeup. Blame Vinny Lascalzo for that. He was the makeup artist, and he apparently had knew how to do smoky eyes better than better than half the women in New York. Apparently, no you know? kidding. Although you know, awesome although, makeup jobs. Although I mean, those dimples that you have, Vicky, he can't imitate those. Those yeah, two dimples that you got, that yeah. will eventually start traveling south. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, we do get RSD coming against Angelique. I think Aaron. I mean, I think there's supposed to be sexual tension there, but it looked like more that Aris D kind of just wanted to redo Angelique's hair. But, um, but you know, so you got the playoff there. But, you know, but Aris D's kind of bizarre because he's kind of like an evil Willie, that, but an evil Willie that does take it a step too far, where Willie doesn't really take things too far. You know what I mean? It's kind of like he's kind of someone's bitch boy, you know, right this boy but honestly comes up but he's a lot he's got enough he's got enough on his lead that basically you know you know he can go off and do what he needs to do though for some reason it never really comes off well i thought I mean, angelique was gonna off him there for a while but well he had that um i mean you know that we got you know that Patelfi was able to like snap that out of existence but then we got the pit and the pendulum segment. With yeah. Princess. Oh my God. That I don't even nauseous. know how we I mean, arrived at that. That makes me nauseous. That that's the one. That's the one bane. Well, we do got the blade go across, not hit section, but across his crotch, which is quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then you have like this like little blade. It's like, well, I just don't understand why the prop department didn't do like a huge like the huge blade. If they did like the right. huge blade, it maybe had a little bit. But it is, it was like a little butter knife going back and forth. And, exactly. You know, it's like, oh, let's get Selby with his shirt open. That'll make the girls gaga. And we'll actually like. What are they? Gonna, they put I'm, Kleenex in his mouth or some shit, too, didn't they? Instead of like cutting through his middle section, we'll just maybe cut through his penis, maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe this would have been the first orchiectomy on Dark Shadows, you know. You possibly, know. possibly. Uh, you know, that's, that's and, you know, it's like, oh, you have 20 minutes, but it, it looked like it, like, it just felt like hours as well. Because like, everyone's running around, oh, we got to find Quentin. It's like, oh, we only got 20 minutes. And it's like, okay. So, so that, I mean, that fails horribly wrong. And then, but then there's a really interesting, I mean, this was actually more interesting than Barnabas's and Willie's relationship, but the Armistice and Carl Patafi's relationship is very very interesting because you have that feeling of you know that our aristide is one step away from like being dead whatever right. he does and it's like because Batafi is dangerous i mean i think he's the most dangerous villain we've ever had on Dark so Side. far Batafi, yeah yeah I agree. There is a, I mean, the thing is, you can snap, and the thing is, you're not quite sure. Obviously, he has a lot of power. From God Obviously. Um, and he's intelligent as well. So he's not a person with power who, basically, for having power for power's sake, there is an intelligence about his evilness, which makes it very dangerous. I mean, look at the whole Jameson thing. And all he has to do is kiss someone. And they <laughs> He winds up kissing. He winds up 
kissing the whole family. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at Roger. He turns Roger like in like that. Into a servant. Like, into a servant. servant. Yeah. And that's, into Pansy, you know, and I, I, all that. And you're like, you know, I mean, wh- what kind of gift do you have to be able to be able to do that and do it through someone that you possess? Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like the possession disease. And, and, and I think, you know, to give Louis Edmonds credit, uh, when he turns Louis Edmonds into that butler uh, kind of <laughs> character. Oh, I my mean, God. I know. You know, he'd hate it. You know, he'd hate it if you knew what was going on. Because Roger he thinks would, we're all a bunch of peasants anyway, right? Roger, <laughs> Roger would be gagging with a spoon yeah. uh but 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 it's it's to louis edmund's credit that he he really he really does that as well as he uh, portrays the snob you know what i miss i miss his one-liners from yesteryear he had the best <laughs> one-liners all the time he was so casually insulting i bring it up all the time when he was howling like a ghost when victoria was stuck in that room I miss that. I really do. I miss the Louis Edmonds of old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, now that what are we planning to do, Liz? Are we going to open up a hotel in, yeah. in Collinwood and rent out the rooms? You know, yeah. <laughs> you know that kind of. Thing. Oh yes, when the ghost comes on, I think I'll invite her up for tea. You and know, why I, are I, they making Beth or Judith such a such a? I just hate that they make her into this weak woman that needs a man it's annoying i'm it, not a me too or a hell of a crazy stuff but it's, it's a hell of a change and, and and i i agree with you i think that i love her as the independent strong woman i think it has to be i to be honest you know i think you know leave bring the story to the side i think that she's like oh i'm 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 i need holiday and so they came up with something quickly yeah and it, and it seems like whenever it comes to her characters if you ever noticed it's almost like it's like she's putting her holiday time not in advance but like at the last minute and then they always come up with like this thing that where she can disappear for episodes yeah she goes to a nut house whether it's boston or that's when she's bennett is on her way to cons for a vacation i guess yeah and that's why i'm kind of wondering does she not does she not plan this like months in advance because it almost seems like i'm sure they did writers at the last minute and they have to come up with this real quickly I heard that the writers that he that they basically would get together for BS sessions with the writers and just lock them in an office, and right. they would be literally planning the plot for the next year in these twenty four seven sessions. And who knows right. whether they had beds there or whatever. You'd have to speak to one of the writers, I think, to really get the uh, to really get the import. But it was so it was very very intense. That's the kind of intensity that Curtis demanded of his writing staff, right. and uh, but. But here, and again, give Violet Wells credit, who came back from the first year. She writes right. a number of episodes in this block. And she knows Shadows. She really knows Shadows, because she was there at the genesis of Shadows. And she's able to infuse that, both in the Laura plot and in some right. of the other things that are right. going on. And, and, and she, was, she was really, to me, she's really part, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons, why the 1897 arc was so successful. Uh, there's, uh, you know, I mean, give the others a lot, give Sam Hall credit, you know, give Gordon Russell credit. Uh, they were, they, they were pitching in. I don't see Sprout as much here, but, but, but Violet Wells was a, a, was, I think a welcome addition. Yeah. 
And then now getting into now we have the arrival of Charles Delaware Tate. Now that's Roger Davis's latest role. Yeah, I think I think they should have. I don't think they should have um, cast Roger Davis in this role. This uh, is go go ahead. It's not because it's not because it's only because he looks so much like Dirk, and Dirk just died, and like a couple weeks later they you know, and, and no one's picking up on that. So. You know, I mean, if if they came in and like I don't know, put a wig on him and gave him a total different look, yeah. But he just looks like, yeah, Roger Davis. You know what <laughs> I mean? And, like, and no, and no one questions it at all. And the, and the problem basically is that Dirk had altercations with every single person on this. You know, right. on this, You know, and every so, so like they're not going to know what's the usual thing. Oh, you look like somebody I once knew, but I really wish they had kept the Dirk character on for longer. Yeah. Uh, I think they've had a lot of mileage to work on with this guy. I think so too. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, think, I think though he was an excellent vampire though. I just thought mm-hmm. he was so good at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I said before, there's nothing wrong with Roger Davis as an actor, but it just, it just felt weird to have the character show up at the door. They open the door. Oh, I'm the painter. And it's like, no, what's his name? Know, we, Ned? We and we, you know, and we got, and the thing is, when Roger Davis has ever appeared, he's always like, oh, you look just like, yeah, I know I look like, oh, uh, you know, because they, they did this again before they went back. Jeff Clark, time. Jeff Clark. Oh, Peter Bradford. When Vicky first met Jeff Clark, it's Peter, you're back. Who? You know, that kind yeah, of thing. And, so they always and the mad and the, and the brother, the, um, the incestuous brother of that girl that was in the wheelchair. That's <laughs> Stewart. Sabrina. Sabrina. Yeah, that, that was, was really, not one of his that finer was a moments. Really bizarre character. That was not one yeah, of his finer moments. And this character is the same thing because it's like, you know, because they did, you know, this got rid of Peter Bradford. You know, and they had that whole thing, and it's like, and then he came in, it's like that person. Oh yeah, I know, like Peter Bradford. Being well, I'm like, I'm in love with my sister. No one's gonna have her but me. And that but basically, now, <laughs> you know, so they, you know, they fuddled around a little bit there. But now they kind of got it again. Was like Derek's just, you know, Derek's just been offed off, and all of a sudden this other character looks just like Derek. Derek just shows up, and no one, and this time they're not even batting an eye. It was like they don't even realize it looks like the same person. So. Hmm. Hmm. You know, not, you know, I mean, at least when Sander, when David Thayer, you know, dies as Sander and he's basically coming in, I mean, they look like two different characters. And and he, he, tribute to Thayer David, by the way, that's a real tribute yeah. to Thayer David, that you know, he, because you knew it was the same actor. But for God's sakes, they look so. Well, the makeup was so different. I mean, Xandor yeah, yeah. with his sun with his sunburned appearance, whereas Patafi is like is is like thirty years older and got the white Santa Claus beard and everything. And then you know the different accents, uh, you know, I see, and the mannerisms, the way that he's holding his body, everything. And I mean, and then Roger Davis just comes in as Dirk. They again, you know, Curtis loved them and yeah. wanted to bring him back. Uh, and I think, but I, but I think this is going to be, and you know, and again, for the old fans know this, the new fans don't. But this is going to be a Dorian Gray plot, yeah. and uh, it, you know, it's very obvious because uh, of uh, the Charles. You know, there's Char- Charles Delaware takes going to be around for a long time. Right. And uh, people I just are think that have... they should have um, gave him an, a different. I mean, I think Roger Davis can play the part. It's nothing about that, but mm-hmm. they should have gave mm-hmm. him a different look. Mm-hmm. Dye his hair, yeah, yeah. different haircut, something. Give him maybe you know different way of dressing. 
It's also possible that because uh, Roger was doubling and he was doing Broadway work or off-Broadway work at night, and so it's possible that they couldn't have done but you know but something could have been done i agree with you so they could have put a wig on yeah i agree with you even yeah. a prosthetic yeah. nose or something or a chin <laughs> or something or even change his style of clothing hey i'll put one of those french berets on his head like, i and talk with an accent you know he's a french french painter That's what, the game. What, okay so you get charles he's arriving was there any reason i, I might have left the room or something but when it comes to uh, quentin's portrait was there what why what was a mad dash for this portrait all of a sudden well he's he was he was commissioned to write it by the old woman who died you know the one who left the will when first Beth, beth's mother their mother right yeah yeah so apparently that's the story behind it um and unfortunately i mean we're just touching on him so not a lot about his story is actually very clear we know right. he paints the picture and then Charity not at the sees beginning the picture and sees the werewolf in the picture and that's okay, pretty much that all we have him at this point in time so he's not a well-developed character at the moment because we're just introduced to him so. yeah true you know. and already- most of the story and we do know that He's got. He wasn't very talented, but his talent comes from Patapi. Right, right, right. That's right. That's right. And then you got Charity's thinking she's pansy all of a sudden. So yeah, that was from that. Uh, that was. And from, it has uh, to be from the ki- the kiss of Patapi, the kiss of right. And, David. and it was a. It was perfect in a way because uh, Nancy Barrett may have been, and I can't say this for sure. Uh, we can interview Nancy Barrett one day, but she may have been dissatisfied eventually with, uh, you know, with the sameness of Charity. And uh, wanted to do something recherche, and which is which is what Alexander Mulkey wanted to do, and they never gave him right, the chance to do it. Right. But Nancy Barrett, on the other hand, had been there all along from the beginning. So there, you know, she had more pull and she had more juice, so to speak. So you know, so there, it was a perfect thing for the writers. Kind of brilliant in a way, if you think about it, because how are the writers going to, you know, going to create a new character for her without killing Charity? Char- they didn't want to kill Charity. So what they did was to possess her with uh, Pansy Faye. Uh, you know, Kay Fry was an extra and they right. didn't want to continue with her. So it was a per- really perfect move to, uh, you know, to, to do that. And uh, to Nancy Barrett's credit, she took charity. She took Pansy Faye to new levels, and so to such an extent that later on in the series, and we're not going to go into too much, uh, in a different time zone, she's going to portray another Faye, so to speak. And we'll talk about that another time. But uh, but for here, uh, it enabled the "I Want to Dance with You" song, which was a hit. To, right. to to live on through and then they will do in another block uh, Selby and Faye and uh, and Nancy Barrett will do another music video of I Wanna Dance With You. And uh, which was also a hit, not as good as uh, Quentin's same, but another one of uh, Dark Shadows uh, triumphs, so to speak. Right, right. Now another thing is you know, here we got Nancy Barrett, who we're familiar with from the beginning, and here she's playing Charity, and what she does with her eyebrows is making herself more dowdy. You know, she's <laughs> well, that's what I was asking you guys. It's like I noticed, well, as a woman, we, we all pencil them in, make them more attractive. Yeah, that's, but that's I not mean, my, it just didn't look right. Specialty. It just 
But whoever did it, it didn't look right. If they tried to make her more dowdy looking, I think it was done on purpose because what, her, her eyebrows are normally arched. You know, she right. normally has like a pretty arch. But what she did was she brought what she did is she whited over her eyebrows and then drew them on to break them downwards. Because mm-hmm. what that does is that gives you a, a downbeaten brow and it makes you a bit more school mermy. And and so because to be honest, she's a very very pretty woman. Yeah. And so yes. you know, yes. she can't play charity as a beauty as a pretty woman. She's got to be someone who's been beaten down and basically homely as hell. Because yes. she, you know, she's a minister. You daughter. can't make her homely though. <laughs> she's still well, pretty I mean, she even dowdy looking. I think she does a really good job because if you notice, is that her there's no contour of her face whatsoever there's no blusher they or did like they did do that though i did notice that though. and, they, and, they and then bringing her, her eyebrows up. down like whitening them out and then bringing her eyebrows down brings her face kind of down so it's kind of True. like so it brings everything a bit more and i must tell you last week of course uh the dark shadows uh cast got together to do uh, a christmas carol uh, which was well received. I think over 12,000 people have seen it on YouTube so far. And uh, Nancy Barrett was in it. And she looked, she, the way she looked online, it was like 50 years ago. And I and I don't think I'm uh, speaking from a they halo. They've all effect. taken such good care of themselves. I mean, well, some do and some don't, you know, but she <laughs> definitely did. And, and and I have to hand it to her. I'll be in an interview with her someday. She looked great uh, on there. She looked great on there. And uh, she still got the, you know, still got the blonde hair, the long blonde hair. And uh, you, uh, you did see, uh, you saw changes, but you didn't see the kind of changes that one might expect after 50 years. Uh, so I, uh, so I think that, and she still got that great English accent. She did that English, she did that British Cockney accent on the, um, uh, on, on the, uh, betrayal. And, uh, and, and when one of the fans asked Selby and, uh, and Nancy Barrett to redo, I want to dance with you. And, 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 and David Selby's great, but he doesn't remember the lines of the songs. She, she did. She did, and and she did it, and she did great, and she did great. She was, uh, and and I, I I must give her credit. Uh, she did the fans proud, and, uh, and now I'm going to shut my mouth. But I, I thought I'd mention that. But well, we do find out that Tate's gifts are from Patapi. Yeah. That. And then we also find out that the history book has now made a chance, and that Patapi is finding a way that basically. Now this is this is. This doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm hoping in the next block they'll right. you know, basically go a little bit further with this. But Batafi's plan now is to find Barnabas and then travel back to the future with Barnabas, which will be our present time, because he has twenty days or something to live. And but yet, if he goes in the future, he, I mean, I'm, I'm not, not going to say. I'm not going to say how unless you give me permission. Uh, but well, I, I mean, the thing is, I understand the. Well, the anybody can look that. it up. I mean, that if you're going to die in 20 years, time, 20 days time, let's sit there and say. And even if you go into the future, you're still going to die. Like, you know, like if you like, like okay, I got 20 Unless days you can time. stay in the future. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm going to move to, you know, 2028 20, or whatever. Unless and you got, can yeah. stay in the future and somehow find a way to beat that. And I think well, that's it was what he's kind of a curse, though, isn't it? So you're gonna have to find out, you know. 
Is it because of a curse? Because it's not, it's not like an illness. It's not like he's got like tuberculosis and you can go to the future and there might be a cure because <laughs> it's about some curse or something. If he doesn't get I'm gonna plead the, that, I'm going to plead the fifth on that, but I'll research it. By the time we do the next block, we'll have the answer. Yeah, I mean, I'll, hopefully they'll spread, hopefully they'll make, you know, hopefully they'll tell us because I'm just interesting mm-hmm. that if someone's put a curse on you, no matter if you go into the future, the clock is still going to count the day away. It might not be, might not be in the century that you're living. It might be in the century in the future. Unless something happens to Patafi so that that curse is eradicated, and now it's starting to come back to me, and I'm not going to say one more thing. I mean, it's going to be kind of hard to figure. I mean, another thing is we're not quite sure about, the world about jumping to the future anyway, because all our characters have jumped to the past, so we haven't You'll seen anyone see. jump to the future. So you'll but see. I'm a bit confused about that, but I'm sure. But this, as, as, as I said, this came like the episode at the end of what we're covering. I'll tell so you I'm after the podcast more. is over. <laughs> you and you're telling I, us I Ching Wong. I got a feeling the I Ching Wongs are gonna um, the ones are gonna come back. I didn't say it, you did. Yeah, well I mean I Ching because that's how Barnabas got there, so I imagine they would probably make Smart Boy. Smart boy. Yeah, he's yeah. gonna have to get back. He's done so much damage since he's been there. I mean, talk, he's, Barnabas went there to help everything, but he's just fucking shit up. And now that you, <laughs> and now that you spilled the beans, boss, I'm going to tell you that there is a scene, probably, hopefully, it's in the next block where after using the I Ching, he winds up in the future and sees the, and, and for and for a few minutes sees the Collinwood of the present. And that is such a great scene because yeah. remember, we have for months been accustomed to looking at 1897. And we've almost forgotten what the present day Collinwood is like. So every once yeah. in a while, they give us little glimpses, like in the dream sequence, which we saw in this block uh, with, uh, with Jameson, David, so forth. But that is a wonderful, wonderful scene because is he going to stay there? Is he gonna? Is he gonna leave? You know, and, and I'm not gonna say a thought, and I'm not gonna say a word. But but I'm gonna say time, a word. I'm not gonna say no, a word. No. And I wind up saying a million words. But uh, <laughs> but when you see something, when you see little glimpses like that, little you know, little hints, it's 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 marvelous for the fans. Marvelous uh, because they remember that one day we're gonna be going back to the present. And which is inevitable, which is inevitable. In fact, this 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 time block occurs over a period of three or four months, which yeah. is probably one of the longest. But it was so popular that that's why the writers and Curtis decided to keep it so long, because of Selby and because of the Quentin's theme and because of all the and I want to dance with you and all the other. Uh, uh, all the other marvelous, uh, complicated and intricate plot in, 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 ugh, in, 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 in complicated plot developments that occurred, which, which kept the fans, uh, the, the great fans going and confused the writers so much that they actually, and I still talk about that, they went to the fans on the street to ask what's going on. And that's how complicated it got. Very, very, and, and you don't see that in any other soap opera, I guarantee you. So it was, it was really great. Uh, 
Now, this brings us to the best and worst storylines. And starting with you, Tom, what was your favorite storyline and your worst storyline of this block? Well, hard to tell because there were so many good ones. I know. As I would, as I would, as I would usually say. But I, I think I, I think the best storyline would probably be um, how Quentin continues to deal with the werewolf curse and uh, the agony that he goes through, uh, and uh, the, the thing with uh, the thing with Beth and him finding out. By the way, which we didn't talk about, but he finds out. He finds out that Beth's, uh, Beth was bitten by Barnabas. He was not happy with that one. And uh, I think they kind of did that short shrift because he had a, a short scene with Fred, and, and, and I couldn't help but myself. She's really not under his control, is she? Though, yeah, she is. She is. She's under Barnabas's control. He just hasn't been using it with her because he's very guilty about what. After he got what he originally wanted out of her, he feels very guilty, which was this, which was the backstory, right. which he didn't know about at that point. Then, then that's 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 basically it. And uh, he's biting everybody. And him and Quentin have a really good understanding about themselves. I think they've kind of grown fond of each other as well. Exactly. And David, of course, by and, and Jameson, by giving her the kiss, uh, f- forced her to tell everybody that she was really Barnabas' servant, which she never would have done otherwise. And she told yeah, That's how you get Angelique. She decided to get in there, too, and boo-hoo and say that she was abused. <laughs> exactly. But the uh, so, so in answer to your question, Keith, I think the best storyline is the is the continuing storm and drawing that Quentin goes through and the way Shelby yeah. handles it, which is the, which he does a great job. He does a, he does a great job of, of the, he makes you forget about Briscoe does a great job as Chris when he turns into a, mm-hmm. but, but Selby has his own way. And also when Selby does, when Selby does those rituals, He's great. He's great yeah. when he does those rituals and he and he really gets into it. And I think he's the best. And Laura Parker may, may disagree because she did some great ones herself, you know, uh, and, and Trask with By the Judge and the Quick and the Dead and, and, and Laura Parker with uh, I Call Upon uh, All the Beasts and the Serpents and the Ravens and the Dove and all this stuff. But, but Selby is able to take new material and and really he sounds like an acolyte he literally sounds like an acolyte like any right. god any god ancient or new could listen to this man right and and could and, and could say yeah that's my boy well I'm he's such a poet at heart Anyway. Oh my God! Yes. Oh my God! Yes. Uh, Selby. That, that's why. And Selby did a great job um, at Scrooge in the Dark Shadows Christmas Carol the other week. Uh, he's 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 he's, he's just a marvelous range. He's a marvelous range. Um, so that would be my best storyline. Uh, the the worst storyline. It's kind of hard once again, uh, but. Um, I uh I I I can't think of anyone I can't think of any I think they're I, I think they're all good. Uh I I think uh oh the pit and the pendulum. Yeah. Pit and the pendulum. <laughs> Forget it. Forget you guys are it. so upset where, about where, that. Where are my where are my where are my where's my memory? The pit and the pendulum was horrible. 
I can't say I can't say more enough of that is that in 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 all the wonderful intricate inter, integral yeah, I wonder com- what they did why, why that happened to oh to Jesus Christ it's like somebody <laughs> threw a it's like somebody somebody threw a black pedal it's random that's what it is oh my God you know give me a break that was terrible so that's definitely the worst story <laughs> Tom why did obviously I forget did that? not like the pit and the pendulum no <laughs> That's Archie Bunker's. <laughs> that's the Bronx cheer. That's the Dark Shadows Bronx cheer of the month for me. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. How about you guys? Go right ahead. What about yourself, Vicky? What's your favorite storyline? You know, I'll have to go with time? Tom on um, the the struggles of Quentin because he's just it's just it's just, it's just a great storyline. I love watching it. Um, I was not expecting the pit and the pendulum thing myself personally. <laughs> But the, the storyline I think that irritates me the most is them trying to make um, Judith batshit again. It, it just they do it too much. They've got to figure out another way to let her have her vacation without making her lose her mind. Okay. Yeah. So, but I because because she's such a brilliant actress, and I just hate seeing them do this to her all the time. And mm. and it does. I mean, they don't make anybody else nuts. So think about it. Who goes to the asylum more than than Joan Bennett? <laughs> I mean, seriously, but I mean, as far as as far as this block, I really am enjoying this block, and I'm looking forward to you know. I agree. Binging the next one, it's just fantastic. Oh wait, no, you got to give you got to give a uh, honorable mention to Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for Carl, <laughs> I, I have to agree with the um, the night. The, the, What's her name? Joan Bennett, some character. I want to say Naomi. I want to say Elizabeth because they're kind of getting intertwined with right. each other. But, um, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it just seems to be. It's almost like if she, it's almost like if she goes to a cemetery, you know, she, madness is coming. So, yeah. <laughs> like, like stay so out like, of the cemetery. Yeah, if she goes <laughs> to a cemetery. Madness is coming for Joan Bennett. But, um, exactly. But, but as far as my favorite storyline, I have to say is Aristide and Katafi. I'm loving that whole thing because it's, I mean, it's I cool. I, it's just evil. I mean, it's so evil. And I love something that's just like dramatically evil. And you yeah. do, and, and, but, but there's an intelligence in evil because the evilness that we've had before, you know, They've always had like a chink in their armor, whether it was, you know. And you got that beautiful little gypsy thing that just you know, trolloped well, in. Well, I mean, like and, and Angelique, there, there's a chink in her armor. I mean, there's there's an evilness to her, but there's there's also a weakness. There, there, there's a weakness with all the evil people that we've had. This person, we haven't seen any weakness at all. So it's I'm intrigued. So I'm really liking that. Yeah, he's a badass. My least favorite is... Charity and Quentin and the, the love that they may or may not have because well she's you know, she might, just, he, this is wishful well, thinking on her part though well Quentin might deflower because it might be the challenge of deflowering but once he does that he's not gonna have any, he doesn't want to stay with her so it's kind of like it's kind of like that kind of storyline you're not so, supposed to think about things like that in the sixties well I mean but but, we, but Quentin's a cad isn't he so yeah he, he is but to, he's a mm-hmm. brilliant cad. But, but yeah. no, but he, he's the kind of chat that he's quite, and you know, if, whether you're looking at Laura, whether you're looking at his wife or anyone else that he's dated that we know about, he loves to chase. Once he deflowers them or has sex with them, and then he's not interested anymore. 
And it's all about the chase with him. Sounds like so, a lot of guys and, I know. I don't think, and I don't think that Darity <laughs> is special enough to change him in any way. So I'm just kind of like, oh, well, this is kind of a waste of storyline here. And I mean, let's be honest. I mean, also Nancy Bear is the only young woman left in the show at the mo- at this point in time because all the young so. women have been killed off. The way with Catherine Lee Scott, <laughs> it's yeah. just you know, it's just a bunch of men now. The best, so, yeah, best. You got Beth, but I mean Beth is tied to Quentin, and that's never going to change. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 it have to have Beth interested in anyone else is not is not what her character will do because I mean she's totally devoted, isn't she? I mean she's a she's Olivia Newton John singing hopelessly devoted to you to Quentin, you know, sort of thing. So, but yeah, but it's you know, so that's what I. You know, that's my thoughts are on it. But I'm love, loving the block, though. I haven't, I can't, it's really hard to find a bad storyline. It's so hard it's not, to so, because it's, it's interesting. It's, it's constantly moving. You're not bored. There's something going on. Someone's trying to do something to somebody all the time now. There's lots of intrigue. So it, it's just a really well-written and fun storyline. I'm, I'm really Agreed. liking these. I agree with you. So for me, I guess it wouldn't be worse storyline. This is a storyline I'm least interested in. I guess it's probably best to put that. So um, now if your favorite character and least favorite character, starting with you, Vicky. Least favorite character. God, I hardly have any. I, I guess it's a character. It's not the actor, right? I, I don't like what they're doing to um, Joan Bennett. I just, I don't, don't, don't. She's not, she's like by far one of my favorites, but I don't like her, what they're doing to her character. And I, I know they have to write her off so they can take breaks and stuff, but she's such a really great actress. I just, you know, I just like her when she's strong and tough. Um. Trask is getting on my nerves too. <laughs> and oh, what's his face? Um, not oh God, what's his name now? Hanley. He's just always in the business of, of messing people's lives up. It doesn't matter what century he's in either. But I, I honestly can say I hate saying that I get a worse, bad, and worse character because I really love all of them. But just what they do to their characters is the difference. Because every once in a while I get an email saying that I don't know what, you know, it's like these people put so much work into it. You've never done this before. You've never written a dark shadows. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a couple of those also. They, yeah. Says, they're the ones that let them get their own podcast. And then that's what I tell them. <laughs> if you feel that strongly about that, and you're going to go ahead and knock us for the, all the effort that we take in terms of researching, in terms of uh, getting, disseminating the information out, and that's all you can take. Well, then you go ahead and get your own podcast. I challenge you, and then have me as a guest host, and I'll go one-on-one with you. That's all I can tell you from my Brooklyn accent. That's it. Oh man! But I do get yeah, sick and I'm, tired. I'm, of, I'm I do get sick and tired of that because that is because that is really picking. That is really picking on on uh, you know on 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 one particular. Well, it's side. just it's just you don't know me. what they did on the show. Well, guess what? They don't know what they did on the show either. <laughs> <laughs> so who the heck are they going ahead running after us? <laughs> because not everybody's going to love us, Tom. That's okay. As long as the ones that do love us, they're the ones that understand. And the ones that don't understand, I challenge them, get your own podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> God dang. Rant yeah. over. No, it's just, well, it's true. I mean, that's why I, but I really don't have a really least favorite. So I just thought, I just think that sometimes when they rate the character, that's what, where my, my least favorite comes in because it gets annoying and it's repetitive. Like Trasky's repetitive. I would like to see him do other shit, you know? Other than that, I love everybody. Um, what about yourself, Tom? What's your best and favorite character? Best character is Roger Davis. Uh, he definitely and, gets like a big mention from me too. He was fantastic in this block, and I absolutely, that. absolutely. He w- finally was given. I mean, he was given characters that were very, very hard to handle from from his standpoint because the writers, uh, you know, the writers really uh, dumbed them down. Yeah. Uh, it, you know the pre the Peter Bradford character originally was the uh, you know was the attorney in training who fell in love with Vicky, and yeah. that was the Romeo and Juliet thing, and he did fine John with Carlin that. Was fantastic. But then Jeff Clark was the egotist, and he fell down the toilet with all that, and that unfortunately made people forget about the Peter Bradford thing. Ned Stewart didn't help me either. Yeah. Now he comes across as Dirk Wilkins, and here. He his real talents as an evil dark yeah. shadows character. He's a really good evil dude too. Comes to light. And he did a wonderful evolutionary job of, of, of the vampire role from the Renfield to the yeah. traditional Dracula to the Christopher Lee. And you can compare it with the greats because yeah. that's how good his performance was. Yeah, he definitely showed his range. Absolutely. So, so I so I give him that honorable mention. I want to give to Clarice Blackburn because she was a scary. She was a she was a a Minerva on the on the on the parallel of Abigail. She did a great job as Abigail in seventeen ninety five. She did a similar job here, but then when she turned into the Black Ghost of Minerva, she was really frightening, and uh, she gave Joan Bennett feed for father. And Joan Bennett also, in my view, I'm going to be a little more generous to Joan Bennett because I give her honorable mention. Joan Bennett was given some some garbage uh, by the writers. And she took it and she handled it like a pro. And uh, she handled the uh, when when she was. Now, I didn't like the fact that she caved into Trask in one day. Uh, but again, the, that's a fault of the writers, not her. But she gave a great job as uh, the as as a, as the one who thought that uh, that. Uh, Minerva was the only one who she who could who she could see, uh, and until Selby came along as Quentin and broke that for her, uh, she had some. It was it was some tour de force by her. Uh, as far as worst is concerned, I I, I I hate to say this, but I'm wondering what Jerry Lacey has been. So I don't say he's worst. I don't think the writers, the writers just were repetitive at this yeah. point. Yeah, and kind of a giving, one-nail performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what else could they give him to do? He was great as Trask in 1795. Yes, he's a little more depth here in terms of, you know, the calculating the evil and stuff. But after a while, you know what he's going to do before he does it. And that, I think, is a, is is that because what you like most about Dark Shadows is when you get the unexpected, when they do something 
that you don't expect is going to be done, and it really hits you. But with uh, but with the Gregory Tress character, you know what's going to happen before it before it happens. It kind of grates, and I think that's the. Uh, they also didn't give uh, you know Briscoe a lot to do after the uh, uh, after the Queen of Spades thing. You don't really see a lot of what they gave Briscoe to do, uh, right. and he wasn't on a lot. And then again. That's not because that's not his fault. It's because the writers didn't give him enough. Anyway, that's my take on it. Uh, how about you guys? My um, my favorite character is a three way tie, and my three way tie is um, Dirk. Because mm-hmm. I think I mean Roger Davis playing evil. I think he should play more of those. I think right. that he really. I think that's really where he excels the most. I've ever seen. I mean, as far as Dark Shadows concerned. Mm-hmm. Um. Claire's Blackburn as Minerva. Right. Loved her. Loved She's her, great. Loved her. Yeah. And David Thayer as Kampatafi because that yes, man just, did, I mean, he could be reading Anything. the phone, he could do the phone you. book and just recite it and you're just, you're just <laughs> mesmerized. But, and because the coffee is a, is a character we haven't seen on Dark Shadows ever before. Right. This no. person is intelligently dangerous and, that, you know, you know, keeps striving that. It's a perfect role for him, too. Yeah. Um, it's the perfect and, role for Thayer David. And, you know, and, you know, it's it's one of those weird roles because he's not in it very much. But I got to give it to David Hennessy playing him and being possessed by him because it makes him feel like Patafi is still there. I'll go with that. <laughs> I'll go with that. You yep. know, and, you know, and that's, you know, Patafi's very much there, even though David Thayer is not, hasn't been in the last few episodes. Right. But David p- pushing that Patafi character through and in, in, in your, I'm all in sort of thing. Um, least favorite, it's going to be Roger Davis again, but this is a Charles Delaware. And I think, you know, and maybe, I know, and I don't know how much input an actor has or anything like this, but it would have been nice to have Charles Delaware, whether have a different accent or, or something or different style of clothing or different something. But yeah, I mean, it's early days yet. We'll see how that character develops, but for, you know, cause he does come in at the very end of this block. So, you know, it's kind of, maybe it's a, a little bit fair to unjudge him at this point, to judge him at this point, but yeah, that's what, oh my God, it's Peter Bradford again, sort of thing, especially after seeing Dirk. It's just kind of a letdown after seeing Dirk, that's all. Yeah, it's a good so, point. So, you know, so I think it might have, it might have something to do with that as well. And I, I said before, Roger Davis is, you know, my favorite character is Dirk and my lead character is. Well, um, I mean, like you said, they could have given him like maybe a different hairdo or something, you know, even an accent. He could have came in with like a Western accent or from like, you know, a Western accent or a Bostonian. I mean, accent he can really like, rock yeah, the yeah. turtlenecks. I'll give him that, but yeah. you know, yeah. they need, they needed maybe just to make him look a little different. So I get well, this is the end of Literary License Podcast. Next month, we'll be doing episodes from September 1969. And, no, sorry, August, September. Sorry, August and September of 1969. 
which of course will start with episode 807, and will probably take us into the later 800, um, 880 episodes, or 840, I think. Something like that. Um, of course, you can always check our website if you really want to know exactly what we're covering, because that's what our website's there for, and that's at www.llpodcast.com. Um, next week, we'll be back to book the screen. We'll be back to our regular scheduling after New Year, and we'll be doing Odd Thomas by Dean Coots and the film Odd Thomas. And, of course, we'll be um, carrying on with our Bewitch episodes, because we're now in Season 3 of that. And, of course, our two-for-one will be Dead and Buried from 1982 and The Uninvited from 1981. I love those movies. And that will bring us to the end of um, January. And so it's good night for myself and good night, Vicky. Good night, everybody. Good night, Tom. Good night, guys. And once again, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. And it's Kwanzaa. And Kwanzaa as well. <laughs> Don't forget Kwanzaa. Can't forget that. <laughs> we'll we'll see you next week with Odd Thomas by Dean Coots. And of course, our interview with E.G. Daly will be up this week as well. Good night.